0: Welcome to Art Bell's Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002. In the great American Southwest, I did you, uh,
1: everybody out there. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you may be in Earth's 24 time zones covered by this program, which is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. It's going to be a weighty program in more ways than one. There are some things I'm going to hold off here a few minutes telling you about. For important reasons, uh, I'm waiting for uh, this article to arrive on uh, my website so that I can talk about it. I don't. I don't feel I should until you, uh, until you can make it up there and read it uh, for yourself. Now let's check national news. Storming into a hotel dining room, a suicide bomber killed at least 19 Israelis and injured 120 others when he detonated explosives Wednesday night. Just as a meal was beginning at a Jewish Passover celebration. Whew. It's never gonna end. Is it? Or is it gonna be all of it is it gonna be the end? Is the right question to ask about everything that's happening over there right now. now President Bush signed legislation Wednesday designed to limit the role of big money in political campaigns, triggering a rush to the courthouse by critics challenging the constitutionality of law. I told you this would happen. God, they didn't even wait an hour. Uh, the president said, I wouldn't have signed it if I was really unhappy with it. Soon afterward, two lawsuits were filed against the legislation in the U.S. District Courthouse. The suits uh, brought by the NRA and... Uh, uh, Senator, another by Senator Mitch McConnell of uh, Kentucky alleged the new law violates free speech. So they're going to they're going to make this they're going to send this one straight to the court uh, without uh, passing go. A Milton Burrell, the acerbic cigar smoking vaudevillian who eagerly embraced the new medium and became Mr. Television, has died at 93. He was uh, diagnosed with colon cancer last year. So, a legend is surely gone, Milton Berle. I remember as a child, you know, vague memories. I, I remember my dad brought home a television, and it was about a seven-inch screen. I know because I later uh, got this TV, <laughs> you know, from my room. It was this giant cabinet with this little tiny seven-inch uh, screen, but everybody in the neighborhood came running over to see the Bells television, you know. And we had a full living room every night for a long time. That was the beginning of TV, and so was Milton Berle. And that's where you saw him, and he's gone now. A good trip, my friend. A court convicted uh, a U.S. airman Thursday of raping a Japanese woman sentenced him to 32 months, including a case that deepened resentment toward American troops stationed uh, in Okinawa. Uh, So, uh, a conviction there. American Airlines pilots have told the government that it should consider grounding the Airbus A300-600, one of which crashed in New York last year because of safety questions. American Airlines and Airbus Industries say the plane is safe. The FAA has ordered new inspections of the Airbus A300-600, but has not yet grounded the aircraft. Now, as you know, on my website, this is, it, it just gets nothing but more interesting uh, by the moment. The man who built the Coral Castle, uh, I've seen years of info on this man and uh, talked to many people who have been there. But the other night, uh, John in Orlando, Florida, blew me away, blew me away, sent me a picture of an obviously, uh, some sort of magnetic machine that the man who built this... I mean, it's the American equivalent of the pyramids. It's impossible. What this man did by himself, small man, by the way, impossible. Totally, utterly, absolutely impossible. He could never have moved the rocks around. As we are curious about the uh, pyramids, we are curious about Coral Castle, and inside of the Coral Castle... Here is this rare picture of this machine, which I say again looks like something out of Stargate, and I've been talking about it the last couple of days since I got the photo. Now, I think you'll find this of some interest. Uh, My very good friend, uh, Woodley Streber, wrote to Bill Mello, who is a scientist, and uh, asked him to look at the photograph that I put up on my website, and... And uh, uh, William Mallow wrote back the following. The structure seems to have the usual rotor and stator components that all motors contain, but, in capital letters, with exclamation points, there is the impression of resonance slash harmonics involved, which vary as the rotor seems designed to turn at varied vertical orientations, and strikes varied-shaped relief patterns around the inner surface. There appears to be a handle for manual rotation and a somewhat eccentric inner surface. Each of the relief symbols, or bells, corresponds to one of the external rectangular bar-like stator-like composite structures. Tuning may be implicit... The construction of the bars around the assembly together with the elevation and shape of the relief bells or sounding pins slash pegs to design and construct a machine that uh, rings and sings at acoustically powerful enough levels to lift and place megalithic objects requires an understanding of mechanics, physics, and harmonics that are reminiscent of John Keeley the 19th century inventor who uncovered some universal laws of matter, force, sound that still baffle us. And that is what uh, Bill Mallow wrote back to Willie Streber, who then passed it on to me in email about this photograph. I'm telling you, it's incredible. So if you haven't uh, been to my website yet to see it, uh, please do. It is without question a a, a magnetic uh, device of some serious description. Now, why is it important? Well, uh because it's right in the middle of Coral Castle. That's why. It's right in the middle of Coral Castle. Now, uh, the gentleman... Now, I get a lot of email. I, I get so much email. Um... I'm awaiting an answer from the man who called last night and said that uh, any hole in excess of ten thousand feet drilled into the earth is a matter of national security and is secret uh, highly secret, and he had the answer, and he was going to give it to me, but said it could hurt the u s so I said no, send it to me an email well, uh, Harold, I have not received your email yet um, if you would uh, he's a ham. so if you would please put your call letters uh, Harold, in the uh, subject line and send it to me again ASAP I would certainly appreciate it because a lot of people want the answer to that me included I could have missed it you know I I just I get reams of email okay the two things uh, that I, I additionally want to talk to you about that are going on the website have just now gone on so I'm going to bring them up uh, with great trepidation and hesitation, uh, particularly with in, in view of the second one. Uh, the first one is uh, very interesting. If you, When you go to artbell.com, here's what you do. You click on what's new, and instead of going down, you go up to where it says updated news and other websites. And the first is a, a very interesting picture. It's titled... Uh, Baby with Tail, Reincarnation of Hindu God. And though the photograph has been around for a while, this is a photograph, folks, a very clear, very clear photograph of a child with a tail. A pretty good-sized tail at that. You know, we were talking about people with tails the other day. Remember that? Well, here is one with a tail. That is the first item. The second item, the second item I'm going to have to talk to you about. I, uh, I am not going to withhold news from you. As you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of news uh, breaks first in the United Kingdom. And uh, for some reason, they're more on top of a lot of, I don't know, the kind of stories that I cover here than the the, the press in this country. But I am told that this is going to break in the press in this country. That may or may not be. There has been published in the London Observer, Sunday, March 17th, an article uh, that I consider extremely, you know, personally I consider this extremely defamatory to uh, uh, the memory of uh, Father Malachi Martin. It's a rather long, involved article. It's entitled, Condemned to a Life in Purgatory for Falling Prey to a Sinner in the Vatican. And it says some pretty horrible things about Father Malachi Martin. Uh, So here's the way I'm going to treat it. Um, uh, Right now I'm going to just uh, put a link to the Guardian website uh, article on my website. It's up there now. I think the link is, the second one down It's called Condemned to a Life in Purgatory for Falling Prey to a Sinner in the Vatican. Click on that. It will take you across the pond, and you can read the article. And you can decide for yourself. Now, Father Malachi Martin is no longer around, of course, to defend himself. And um, you may wish to give no weight whatsoever to this article. It's awful. Awful. So anyway, with regard to the, the first photograph of the uh, child with a tail and this um, awful article about Malachi Martin... Uh, just uh, click on what's new and go up, not down, to where it says news and other websites, and uh, there will be the information I'm talking about right now. And I'm not even going to, uh, at this point, honor this uh, article in any way by reading any of it there. It's a rather extensive article. The bad part's really coming more toward the end. Oh, boy. So they're not, uh, you, you know, you're not even done here on earth when you're done. I mean, they're just going to come after you uh, after you're gone. That probably happens to most people of uh, some public, you know, some public uh, uh, exposure. Uh, so Somebody who's uh, very much in the public eye, even after they're gone, anything that would appear to be like a terrible scandal... Will still break and will still make news. Hmm. Now you've seen this awful black water down in Florida, right? Getting a lot of uh, news stories about it now, and this black water is incredible black water. Now it's not. Killing life. We we don't think it's actually killing life. It covers a large part of the ocean down there off Florida. It's, it's not actually, doesn't seem to be killing life, but it is devoid of life. Now that may mean that uh, the life just took off and went elsewhere. But we're beginning to get some first trickling of information about what they think it might be. Just trickling in, right? But these samples might be indicating uh, that there is uh, some sort of uh, algae bloom. They're not really sure yet. You know, they're looking into reasons for the phenomena. And uh, I've got a number of quotes from scientists here. Uh, Let's see. We have certain expectations about the number of bacteria in normal coastal ocean water. Uh, Good, clean uh, ocean water has between one and three million bacteria, elevated levels would be in the area of ten times that. Huh. Researchers from uh, NOAA uh, weren't aware of the phenomenon at the time uh, they were sampling between Key West and 10,000 islands at Hug Florida's southwest coast. They collected in areas on the fringe and the core of the water, according to later reports from fishermen. Brand refused to speculate on what his findings might mean, but said the samples had an odd, quoting, an odd array of organisms, including green algae that is not normally found in Gulf water. Uh, there are a lot of surprising results people would have uh, would not have uh, uh, expected, said Brand. Uh, generally, you see, you see green algae only under polluted conditions. So that's kind of where that story stands right now, in other words they they just don't they don't know the uh, the water has uh, indications of large amounts of uh, plant plankton and no evidence of red tide so this one is a new and weird mystery in a moment, there will be more there sure have been a lot of People involved in uh, microbiology dying lately. And here's another one Castle Rock. Denver car dealer uh, Kent Rickenbaugh, his wife Caroline, and their son Bart were killed Sunday in a plane crash near Centennial Airport. Uh, Pilot uh, Dr. Stephen Mosto also died. Kent Rickenbaugh, 64, owned two car dealerships in the Denver area. Caroline Rickenbaugh, 62, known for her involvement in the community. Bart Rickenbaugh, 35, lived uh, in Bozeman, Montana. Mostow, that's M-O-S-T-O-W, 63, was one of the country's leading infectious disease experts and was associate dean at the University of Colorado Health Sciences Center. Amasto was a crusader for better health, an early advocate for widespread flu vaccinations, and more recently an expert on the threat of bioterrorism. He was a champion for rural health care and childhood immunizations for the past three years. He had been helping to expand the uh, health fair, a program that benefits thousands of people in Colorado. The key here, though, is uh, that he He dealt uh, in in the exact areas that uh, i mean he was working on bioterrorism, and there have been without question a disproportionate number of uh, 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 scientists out there working in this field how, who who have been dying in I don't know unusual ways. I mean, I I, I don't know if you say a plane crash is an unusual way to die, but in a way it is. And this list is beginning to get to be very long, and a lot of people are beginning to notice. So, it's like this is beginning to get noticed, folks. Well, it's all over the Internet. It's not just me. So, if there's something going on out there, why... Uh, the media is beginning to notice, folks. <laughs> we do live in strange times. I understand there's a warning to Americans around Easter uh, in Italy. Mona was just telling me she saw a newsflash about uh, there possibly being danger to Americans in Italy around Easter. The Figures, huh?
2: The time
0: There's a lot of bad people in the world. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002.
3: And then to burst up through tarmac to the sun again, or to fly to the sun without burning a wing, to lie in a meadow and hear the grass sing, to have all these things in our memories, hoard, and we use
2: them to come. my
0: life, I You're listening to Art Bell somewhere in time. Tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002. Again,
1: uh, I will call your attention to these so that you might assess them yourselves. There is what I consider to be a very uh, defamatory article about Father Malachi Martin. Uh, you can get to it by going to my website, uh, clicking up on news and other websites, and then uh, have a read yourself and see what you think. You have to wonder why... Uh, only after his death would an article of this sort be printed. Now there's a, at the top of the hour, it's going to be very interesting, you may remember the rocket guy, Brian Walker, who plans to launch himself 30 miles straight up in a rocket of his own design. And, of course, we've got uh, photographs of that rocket, and we're going to get an update because we're getting close to what was the uh, first launch date. Now I think that may be pushback, I'm not sure, we'll ask. A little bit, but it's getting very, very close. And I'm going to go up there and watch this launch. There is no question about it. We're going to open lines here in a second, but just very quickly, uh, from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, Make way for the ultimate high-rise project, the space elevator. Here we go again. Long viewed as science fiction fiction. Imagineering <laughs> researchers are gathering momentum in their pursuit to propel this uplifting concept into actuality. Still, the mental picture needed to grasp the elevator to space idea well—you uh, can't be weak of mind. Forget the roar of rocketry and those bone-jarring liftoffs, like Rocket Man's going to experience. The elevator would be a nice, smooth 62,000-mile ride up a long cable. Payloads can shimmy up the Earth to space cable, experiencing no launch forces whatsoever, slowly climbing from one atmosphere right straight up into a vacuum. Earth orbit, the Moon, Mars, Venus, the asteroids, and all beyond are uh, routinely uh, accessible via the space elevator. And for all its promise and grandeur, this mega project is made practical by the tiniest of technologies now. Carbon nanotubes. Seen as an engineering undertaking for the opening decades of the 21st century, the space elevator proposal was highlighted here during the 2002 Space and Robotics Convention held March 17th through the 21st, sponsored by the Aerospace Division of the American Society of Civil Engineers. Well, 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 think about that. They're really serious about this. An actual, a re, an actual elevator that would go from Earth, from ground, into space, and would take you there slowly without any rockets or anything else. And these people are saying, uh, they, these people are saying it, it really could uh, be. Now, how it, <laughs> you know, the engineering of that and the physics uh, behind that uh, totally escape me. But the concept is absolutely incredible. Take an elevator to space. I remember the Empire State uh, Building. I've been up in that elevator enough times, and that's a thrill. But my gosh almighty, 62,000 miles. (laughs) Yay, yay, yay. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello.
4: Didn't someone once sing about a highway to heaven?
1: (laughs) A stairway to heaven, yeah.
4: Art, greetings from the nation's first capital.
1: Uh, New York, eh? Hey.
4: The Big Apple, New York City. Yes, you No, know, if General George Washington was around, he would say, boys, when the smoke clears, we're going to be in the oil business. <laughs> you know, it's no longer an immigration issue. It's a national security issue. The illegal invaders must be deported. You know, Art, Flight 587 that crashed into uh, Rockaway, New York, there are witnesses who saw that jet blow up, and those witnesses... All have the same account. They saw a small explosion by the wing, followed by a big explosion.
1: I uh, I could not agree more with you that I somehow I don't feel like we've been told the whole story on that uh, aircraft. Right? Because yeah, at all,
4: you're right. And the government will say, "Well, it doesn't look like terrorism." But look, anybody with any common sense knows that until the full investigation takes place, you don't know. Don't know. What exactly happened? So you can't say either way. But if they're trying to put this out there it wasn't terrorism, because obviously they don't want the airline, commercial airline
1: well, industry looked, to be shut down. Look, uh, look, the commercial airline, <laughs> you know, as a result of this 9-11 thing, the U.S. Postal Service, uh, service is, is suffering horrendously. Um, uh, of course, what occurred there in New York and all the repercussions of that to our entire economy, and, uh, the, you know, the whole thing is um, strictly a national security issue. So I can't sit here and tell you that if I were sitting around some big oak table with a bunch of intel-type guys and we were deciding what to do, uh, even, let's just, you know, for the sake of discussion, say it was, at they know absolutely it was terrorism. I'm not sure the right thing for national security would be to say so. What do you think?
4: Well... I think you've got to come clean with the American people because then you're putting other people at risk. Look at the sneak Obama. Is that, is that what America has come to, where we have three flight attendants fighting with that lunatic on that jet coming from France, yeah. even though the day before they threw him off the jet,
1: if Ho- you remember? The whole thing, yes, I do. The whole thing is madness. It's, uh, it's an- but but, 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 but uh, listen to me now, and I, I'm going to say this again. Uh, You know, even though I'm like everybody else, I want to know, I sure as hell want to know what the truth is. I also see the other side of it. If you were were trying to act in the best interest of our nation and you had already observed the uh, horrendous impact on the economy in this country from 9-11, the psyche of the American people because of 9-11, the worldwide repercussions because of 9-11, the war because of uh, 9-11. In other words, these are world-shaking events, and the American people were beginning to get uh, frightened. Kind of a combination of uh, first shock, then, uh, I guess, anger and fright. And so would you pile on, if you knew something had been a terrorist action, and you didn't have to say so, would you pile on? And would you slam the economy harder and scare the you know what out of everybody or would you perhaps hold that information close to your chest until you had irrefutable evidence or even if you had irrefutable evidence there might be a national security issue there A uh, wild card line you're on the air hello
4: yes uh, i was listening to your program last night and uh, i just think we're getting a, a totally monolithic one-sided view of uh, uh post 9-11 events and uh there's former CIA officials uh, like uh, Ralph McGahee, David McMichael, and others who got so disgusted with the kind of propaganda they were d- ordered to, by their superiors to plant in various media outlets to frame up various countries for attack, that they they left the agency and set up uh, magazines like uh, Covert Action uh, and others. And I think we're, we're being subjected to the same type of thing. I'm listening last night, I couldn't believe the, the, the kindergarten simplistic uh, ultra-right ravings, uh, bellicose ravings of the, of the guest last night, and if we consider the
1: manipulations towards building... Actually, sir, sir, listen to me. He's not really ultra-right at all. Not ultra-right at all. It's just that uh, uh, what he believes about uh, the God part of the brain and uh, now apparently our uh, self-destructive wiring... Uh, he is, you know, he is very, I, I told him right in the air, he's very narrow-minded. He is uh, very narrow-minded, and uh, he is nevertheless, uh, for me, um, a very intellectually stimulating in terms of getting into it with him, and I, I really enjoy that. <laughs> I think he's dead wrong uh, on a couple of things, and maybe right on a couple of others, and so do other uh, very well-educated people like uh, Professor uh, Kaku. I think he's a very interesting person. And he is stubborn, single-minded, macro-minded even, <laughs> but uh, extremely interesting to uh, to intellectually spar with. No question about that. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. I know if you push the button now. Now you're on the air. Hello. Uh, yeah,
3: I'm Ethan. I'm from Kentucky. Yes, Ethan. Um, first thing I wanted to tell you is... Uh, well, I have something for you. My granduncle was—he claimed that he had uh, alien abductions multiple times in his life, and he passed away a few weeks ago. And he left me—I inherited something from him that I'd rather—I'd rather tell you off the line later or something. Well,
1: everybody's always wanting to tell me off line. Uh, just give me a general description right here, would you please? I, I try to keep everything as much as I'm able well, out in front of the audience, you know.
3: I'd, I'd say it's smoking gun evidence. Of JFK shot.
1: Well, oh, uh, we we know that uh, JFK was shot, sir.
3: No, but it's, it's a different view. It's, it shows the driver.
1: Oh um, yeah, yeah. This has been going around for a long time. The driver turning around and shooting the president. of that what you say? Yeah. And that's real old stuff, sir. Real, yeah. real old stuff.
3: Well, okay. Well, the okay. the other thing I wanted to talk about was yes. Yeah, I had the question I wanted to ask you is the tenth planet stuff of um I've heard about. I've heard it. Supposedly a, um, a comet. I've heard it's a a planet. I've heard it's a brown dwarf. And um, I've heard it's supposed to come. It's anywhere from five years to next year. And I don't. I've tried to do research on it. I found all these different things. I want to know what you knew about it. Like, it. Has it been called on telescope? I mean. Yeah,
1: I mean uh, there's a big abcnews.com story, which I've had on the website uh, forever now. About uh, something out there that uh, does indeed look like it could be either a dead uh, tenth planet or uh, even a, uh, uh, a sort of a dead sun. So the answer to your question is yes. There's a great deal of information out there about uh, about the possibility of a tenth planet that would seem to coincide, you know, with what a lot of people like Sitchin and uh, Hazelwood and others are saying. In other words, there's some mainstream backing for it, but uh, we don't know much beyond that right now. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello.
5: Hi, Art. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing okay.
5: This is Steve from Tucson. Yes, Steve. Yeah, well, I'm going to get to my point in a second, but regarding that 10th planet you were just talking about, yeah. I'm an astronomer. You wouldn't happen to have any uh, uh, declination or uh, no, right I dimension coordinates? Absolutely
1: would, would not. <laughs> no. Well,
5: when you get them, please put them on the air. Uh huh. Okay. Uh, the main reason I called—I <laughs> don't know how to start. Last night I was coming home from Phoenix with a buddy of mine, right? And it's about one o'clock in the morning, and I'm—you know—I've listened to your show a lot, and I hear all the people calling and talking about UFOs and all this, and right. I thought I saw something maybe five years ago, but I didn't know what it was. But this last night, I was coming down I-10, right down. Uh, Sounds uh, like
1: your worldview changed last <laughs> night. <laughs>
5: Yeah, <laughs> me and my friends. Yes. Um, we were coming down I-10 at about milepost 178. There was a object in the field to the right of us, to the west of the freeway. Yes. It was flying above the field, maybe at an altitude of about 10 feet. I mean, I'm surprised it wasn't mowing down saguaro cactus. It was so low. Wow. There was, and it was coming towards the highway.
1: Well, describe the object.
5: Triangular. Three very bright white lights on the bottom.
1: Really? And how how big, roughly, would you guess?
5: Well, when it almost hit us coming across the highway, (laughs) this is the strange part. It was coming towards the highway, flying very low over this field. And it went actually over I-10 as it was banking back towards the field. And that's when I caught a full bottom view of it and got the, uh, the, all three of those bright lights right in my face, and then it went right back into the field. Past, I, had to, I hit the brakes in my truck. I thought I was going to hit it. It was that all right,
1: close. all right. Now, pause, take a deep breath, and try and tell me again how big this object was.
5: Judging by the spacing of the lights, there was about 30 feet between the lights, and the object itself wasn't much bigger than its light spread. It was very thin, Um, It made absolutely no noise I'm an aircraft Uh, mechanic
1: Sir, I have seen uh, almost exactly what you are describing Flew right over my head
5: Well, this thing almost I had to hit the brakes So I wouldn't hit it with my truck It made a 10 foot over (laughs) the freeway pass As it was turning back towards the field it came from At which point I slammed on the brakes Pulled off the side of the road I know it was at mile post 178
1: Because I happened to park right next to it
5: and uh me and now, my buddy how many got, how
1: many of you saw this
5: well me and my friend and then right afterwards somebody else we don't know pulled up past our car and pulled off the side of the road and they got out and they were watching it right and so i wasn't the only one and was so, one o'clock in the morning there's hardly anybody on the freeway to in the who, first place
1: to whom have you reported this
5: mm just my immediate friends and family and uh they all believe me you know because i'm i don't uh, walk around telling crazy stories
1: oh i believe you and uh, I'm just suggesting that uh, you should pursue this now and, uh, and report it.
5: Okay. Uh, okay,
1: there are, there are any number of reporting agencies you can go go to. So.
5: Well, I have a theory, and basically when, when we were watching this thing, it was looked like it was searching for something in that field. It was flying very, very low and slow, and at one point it looked like about a half a mile out it landed. About 15 seconds later, it took off almost straight up, made absolutely no sound. Now, I used to be an airplane mechanic. Right. I know the sound of props. Right. I know the sound of helicopter blades. I know the sound of the quiet military helicopters. Yes. I know the sound of engines. There was nothing. I mean nothing, and I was close. It's to the point where I would have heard this thing.
1: I had the same experience, sir. came straight over my head.
5: And it was the so. weirdest thing, and at which point it was searching this. We watched it for a good ten minutes. Yeah. And then it took, when after it went straight up, it flew, and, and it was uh, uh, moving pretty quick, and then stopped. started heading back towards right at my van, <laughs> at which point my friend and I were just standing there looking at me. Maybe that
1: at thing. that point it had noticed you were there as witnesses.
5: Well, I was jumping up and down, waving at it, at which point it stopped oh, again. Really? Turned around and went the other direction. I see. Uh, I know it sounds nuts.
1: I don't, I don't know that I would have been waving to it. Uh, no. I mean, do you know what? Never mind.
5: <laughs> I was at the point of I, you know, I'm I've been an astronomer all my life. Uh-huh. I love everything astronomical.
1: All right, listen, sir, I've, I've got to take a quick break. That's a pretty doggone good story. Write it to me in the email and get a hold of your friends so you can verify and, and by all means notify uh, the the authorities. And there are any number of notification agencies uh, that I've had on the air here. Many of them will be right. Back. See, I almost missed that commercial break entirely. I get so involved in what I'm doing. this This article on uh, Malachi tonight threw me for such a loop that uh, uh, it, you're just even talking about it and the rest of it, and you just forget about uh, doing a commercial break. That's really bad for commercial radio. you have to do your commercial breaks, so I damn near blew it. Uh, West for the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello yeah, art hello.
5: Hey, this is Ken. I uh, remember Ken and Sherry. We were on your show one night about the haunted house. Oh,
1: yes, I do, of course.
5: Yes. Um, I'm going to get those pictures to you. We would had a uh, guy was checking them out, and uh, apparently they're not so much like ghosts but demons.
1: Uh, well, ghosts, sir, that's just a word, you know. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's just uh, a word. We, we really don't know what these things are
5: but uh anyhow well just... why do
1: you say demons I mean what is it about the photographs that would say more demon
5: um the teeth
1: <laughs> did did you say teeth
6: yeah
1: uh r- 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 give me a metal picture what do you mean the teeth what do they look like
6: well it's there's like this face that's it's got,
5: like, it's grimacing its teeth at you in the first picture that I took, and then in the second one.
1: Well, see, now I really want these pictures.
5: Yeah, it's, the mouth is open, and you can see, like, this whole row of teeth down. Okay, sold.
1: Yeah, it's pretty L- Sold, sold, sold. Send me the photographs.
5: Yes, I'm going to get those to you. But uh, one of the reasons I was calling was I wanted to hear more about that, uh, soundtrack that you played the other night about those guys that had drilled.
1: Oh, the uh, the hole to Siberia. Yeah. Refer to yes. the hole to Siberia. Well, um, there's, not, there's not much more to say or tell. I mean, uh, you know, what can I tell you? They drilled the hole. They lowered the mics. Uh, it was a Reuters News, you know, mainstream story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got the, the file, and you heard me play it. What more is there to say? Well, I wish I, I, I really wish I could bring a guest on and talk about this, and if there's anybody who knows about this, I will sure have them on. Uh-huh. How's that?
5: That would be good. Best I'd, I'd love can... to hear that again.
1: Though. Oh, you, you want to hear it again? Well, we'll get around to it, I'm sure. The Rocket
0: Man is coming up. This guy's going to launch himself 30 miles straight up. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March 27,
3: 2002. But he left me much too soon, his
2: ladybird.
3: He left his ladybird.
5: Lady Bird, come on down, I'm here waiting on the ground. Lady Bird, I'll treat you good, ah, Lady Bird, I wish you would, you, Lady Bird. Would you like to ride in my...
2: Tonight, i to live
0: Art Bell, somewhere in time. The night's program originally aired March 27, 2002. Here he
1: comes. What this man is about to do is going to blow your mind. We've got photographs to back it up, too. We call him Rocket Guy, a.k.a. Brian Walker. And he is going to launch himself 30 miles straight up in a rocket of his own construction. He calls the Notion Project RUSH, R-U-S-H, an acronym for a Rapid Up Super High. That's Rapid Up Super High. There are no plans for orbit. Just to set the altitude record for a private citizen, Walker is an inventor whose successful uh, toy designs include the Air Bazooka, the Celestial Seeker, the Alien Orbiter, long before Project RUSH, Rocket Guy, was developing ideas uh, and inventions both practical and amazing. Now we had Rocket Guy on one time previously and uh, he indicated that uh, he had plans to launch in the spring uh, probably about now actually so that's why we're having him back right now I said I would go up and I would watch the launch and attend the launch and I'm absolutely going to do that I know a lot of you will not have heard the uh, first program, so we'll sort of fill you in. We've got these wonderful new photographs on the website tonight of the uh, the rocket nozzle and various parts of the engine, and uh, obviously he's made a stupendous amount of progress, uh, just a stupendous amount of progress in, uh, in what he's done. And so all of this is uh, well-documented on the website. Uh, This man is going to launch himself. It's an incredible story, and it's coming right up. All right, here is Brian Walker, a.k.a. Rocket Guy. Brian, welcome back to the program.
7: Thanks, Art. Nice to be here.
1: It was, uh, how long ago did we do the interview?
7: Last May, so just a short Just under a year ago. Just
1: under a year, and uh, if I recall, if I recall correctly, uh, you were planning on launching in the spring. I think it was May.
7: Yes, I was hoping to launch this May. And just as a quick update, I'm not going to make that launch with the full size rocket. Um, There's been a lot of things that's been going on. This project has gotten increasingly more complex as time goes on, and. I actually had never really established a launch date. It was more like... Well, less that's right. A, it was
1: kind of maybe May. I remember that. Yeah, no.
7: and, and it was more, it was more than anything else driven by the fact that ever since I went uh, public with this just about two years ago, the uh, amount of interest in media has just been so overwhelming that uh, not only has that taken a lot of time, but a lot of, there's been literally tens of thousands of people that have inquired about wanting to come see the launch. And so I've tried to have a date up that would kind of appease that, and it's just this is not the kind of project I can work around.
1: Look, even even NASA has lots of delays.
7: Yeah, and this, so, and this is about as one-man a project as you can get.
1: Yeah, that's right, and uh, if there's any concern, and that's causing a delay, why, uh, hey, I wouldn't hesitate for one second, put it off uh, again and again and again, uh, Brian.
7: Right.
1: So, you know, you know, I mean, it's your butt. That's right. Uh, now, some people obviously will not have heard the you know the first program that, mm-hmm. that we did together, so we need to do a brief recap. What exactly are your plans?
7: Okay, well, just a real quick summary of what's going on. You know, when I was six years old, that was my first earliest memories of watching the space program. I'm 45 now, and that was at the very beginning. And like a lot of the kids in that day, I wanted to be an astronaut. But by the time I was about nine, I'd kind of concluded I just wasn't cut out for the uh military career slash academic side and
1: you, my, d- you didn't have all the right stuff. I didn't
7: have all the right stuff. I yeah. mean looking back at those you know, the original Mercury seven and, and what was required, I just some kind of gut instinct told me I was not gonna get into space that way and so right. I had a basically a childhood dream that I'd someday grow up and build my own rocket. And that kind of was always in the back of my mind, although I don't I think for most of my life it never seemed a reality I would approach. Uh, about 10 years ago, I began to start experiencing success as an inventor, and this dream kind of kind of reemerged, and since it had never been done yet, um, I started looking into what the possibilities were and would it really be possible to uh, do this. And I set a goal of attempting to make a flight straight up, it's not an orbital flight. I'm not going to reach orbital altitude or orbital velocity.
1: Yeah, but 30 miles. You're going up 30 miles, right?
7: It's, yeah, 30 miles. That's I mean.
1: that's a, that's really up.
7: It's way up. That's uh, way up last yeah. April, I flew in a Mig 25 in Moscow, and that was uh, at 80,000 feet, which is uh, about half that high, and. Uh, that's high.
1: <laughs> All right, well, uh, so you must have made a fair amount of money with your inventions to be able to go flying about in MiGs in Russia and uh, to be undertaking the kind of project you're undertaking here. Would that be fair to say?
7: Yeah, that's, that's fair to say.
1: So, and your inventions were good.
7: Yeah, I've got a number of toys that are doing uh, very well. One in particular that's become a big, big hit at the Disney parks and stuff. That's, that's been a, just an amazing um, success in that product. And, of course, I am basically trying to fulfill a dream, and one of the biggest benefits, if not the biggest benefit of the media attention I've had has been, you know, self-motivation on a project like this can be extremely difficult, because there's times when I, I see this project in its whole entirety, and I just kind of shake my head, like, what am I doing? This is, this is just too big.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
7: but the amount of uh, emails I've had from people and the support and the interest that this has gained... Has uh, done a whole lot to to help, you know, get over those hurdles.
1: You know there's a chance you're going to kill yourself, right?
7: Well, I'll tell you, um, I really, I won't launch in this thing if I have a feeling that I will not at least escape, um, you know, you're my number one mission is survivability, and number two is success.
1: Yeah, I, I understand, but even with all the, you know, precautions that... Uh And at NASA takes, I mean, people die. Well,
7: that's true. And and what I've done, of course, is one of the things, one of the reasons I've had some delays is, number one, I've decided last summer, late summer, uh, first thing that happened is I ran out of room and I had to put up another building. Um, I just didn't have the interior space anymore. My shop is where I build all the components, and that means a lot of fiberglass work and, and messy, you know, dust and constantly building pieces. I needed a place to actually assemble it. So I put up a 45 foot diameter geodesic dome, and that serves as the assembly building, and it's 27 feet at the highest point inside, so I can actually work on the rocket standing vertically. Uh, and that project, of course, I, I started, believe it or not, that building began to go up on September 11th. September 11th? Day, September 11th was the day the mm. work crew came up to be, to put the kit up, and, you know, like everyone else, I went through several months of just, you know kind of this bleak yeah not knowing what you know i was spending so much time and money on this project and you know the the whole situation in the world was such that there were times when i was ready to give up on it just not knowing and the, the dome took six months to get to the point where now it's ready to be used
1: all right before we proceed let me ask you uh what would you say now uh is your projected date for launch
7: Okay, well, what I've done is I've gone, uh, kind of backed up a bit and I've been working on a, a rocket that's one half the size, carries about one, uh, about one twentieth the fuel load and the rocket itself is one half size and it's, just, I basically wanted to test the features that I've, uh, planning to use on the full size rocket. This test rocket is designed to go to about 15,000 feet and it's on a mobile, uh, launcher. It's a 16 foot trailer and it uses a, uh, air Catapult to actually initiate the launch. Okay. It'll accelerate the rocket to 30 miles an hour in eight feet, and that gives me you know immediate stability. I'm going to be doing test launches on that uh, late spring, early summer, and my goal is to do three test launches on the empty, and then ride it up the fourth time uh, to an altitude of 15,000 feet, and then I'll skydive from it. It's designed that I won't come down in the
1: rocket; I'll come out of the rocket, and uh, and skydive back to earth. Right. One of the uh, one of the Oh, wait, wait a minute. How, how high again? 15,000, uh, 15,000 feet. 15,000 feet. And from there, you'll literally sort of jump out.
7: Right. The capsule that uh, I'm in, and, and this, the pictures of this, or some <laughs> of the pictures you have on your website show the rocket body of this. Um, the capsule is one in which I'm not quite standing, not quite squatting inside.
1: Yes. There's
7: a full-length door that opens up, and basically the panel pops off. Uh, The rocket will go up and then there's a nose cone that comes off and a 26-foot parachute will come out. And then as soon as that rocket begins, as soon as that parachute come out, the the panel pops open and I'll come out and I'll just do what would be a normal, typical skydive.
1: All right, I recommend uh, now to all of my audience who have already not gone to the website, the best way to understand how serious this man is and how far he's gone uh, is to look through the uh, photographs he has provided under uh, a program, Tonight's Guest Info. Please go to Brian Walker, uh click on uh the new uh new projects and uh go through those photographs, uh, then click at the bottom on previous photos, go through the entire, you'll see the entire rocket. Uh you will see uh just some absolutely you'll see the whole rocket compound from the air, you'll see the craft, the capsule, you'll see the, the whole thing. Everything is laid out for you uh, and you will realize just how serious or crazy, depending <laughs> on your point of view, the, the man you're listening to right now really is. But uh, he certainly is extremely serious. Uh, all the hardware is here. I'm curious, uh, uh, Brian, uh, how much have you spent so far?
7: Oh, I've probably got right now probably around $350,000 in this.
1: Well, that's quite, quite a bit.
7: Well, a good deal of that has been in the infrastructure because uh, it's... You know, I had to not just, building the rocket is one thing, but it's setting up all the the buildings, uh, the shop, the equipment, the tools, the jigs. Uh, for instance, I built a centrifuge, and uh, I finally got that operational last November, just mm-hmm. about time to wrap it up for winter. And uh, that's so I can get used to the G-forces.
1: Have you been in your centrifuge? I've been
7: in it to three Gs. I've had it oh, run really? empty up to eight and a half Gs uh... I've been in it only to three because that's when the weather by time it was ready to start testing the weather turned and it was just time
1: to wrap it up. How would you term going into the centrifuge at say three g's it does it begin to get uncomfortable?
7: Uh, three g's consistently the, you know the thing about a centrifuge as opposed to being in, a, in an aerobatic aircraft or even on carnival rides the G's forces are consistent in one direction so You're not feeling the nausea aspect of the vertigo from having your equilibrium slammed left.
1: Okay, but still, you you weigh. You
7: feel three times your weight. Your chest gets heavy. Now in Russia, I've been up to they took in the Russian centrifuge. I went up to eight gs, and at that point, you have to actually work very hard to keep your throat open and your chest cavity open because if you lose. If you lose that and they flatten out from the forces, you don't really have any muscles, for instance, to open your throat back up and they have to, you know, immediately stop it. But 8G's is, you're fighting to just kind of maintain at that point.
1: And what kind of G-forces are you going to pull in the launch?
7: Uh, six, probably around 6G's.
1: Around 6? For what period?
7: Well, it'll be immediately at the launch. There's a considerable slam because of the, uh, the air catapult that launches it. Um, and then it'll moderate a little bit and then for 90 seconds, uh, on the full size rocket, the, the 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 motor runs for 90 seconds, and there'll be a consistent six to as many as high as eight gs. And I know I can take that because in Russia, when I did the, uh, I did six gs the first time I went. When I went back last year, they took me to eight. And the doctor in charge of the centrifuge program said that, uh, had I been training for a, a Soyuz launch? He would have okayed me on the centrifuge. aspect. Really, really. Which was very neat.
1: Um, how 30. much does it? Go, you went up in a Mig what?
7: MiG-25. Mig,
1: oh, my. Uh, what does it cost to take a ride to MiG-25? Uh,
7: that was about $11,000.
1: About $11,000. You've now taken two?
7: No, I've only done the MiG once. I went over I went over in uh, June of 2000, the first time to Russia, and I went with a, a expedition tour company that puts together exotic vacations and did a week cosmonaut training. Um, a week long, not week. <laughs> a week-long cosmonaut training thing at the Star City, and they took you in the centrifuge. And we went up into zero gravity parabolic flights.
1: Did you happen to tell them while you were over there what your plans were?
7: Oh yeah, oh yeah. They were, you know, at, you know. Of course, the translator. They first looked at me and scratched their head and couldn't figure it out. But when they start, started seeing the pictures of what I was doing, uh, they were very enthusiastic, very excited about it. Um, in fact, one of the really neat things was the fact that for most of these people that I met there. They'd never really had any contact with someone from our system, our capitalist, uh, democratic, you know, society, and for them to see one person approaching <laughs> what is their
2: yes.
7: pride, a space, a one-man space program, was very, you know, it was mind-blowing to them that just because I come from a a country that uh, gives individuals the right to do. Whatever they want to do, basically.
1: That's another. That's another subject we're going to cover. <laughs>
7: yeah, it, it was it was it was an, it was an exciting time, and I've been back four times now.
1: So they didn't laugh real hard, or no. at, at least not in your view.
7: No, no, not at all. Um, in fact, uh, you know, when I was out, at, I went to one airbase last. Uh, when I was there last April, I, I not only did the Mig twenty-five, but I went and did a little L thirty-nine, which is a trainer jet. And when the commander of the base. Saw the article, and they gave me one of their club patches and put my thing up on the wall, and they were very, very, you know, very excited. Now I, I didn't get any kind of, um, you know, ridicule at all. Well,
1: I, I would, I would like to come up uh, even to see uh, your 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 bailout at fifteen thousand. That's
7: going to be a very significant event in and of itself, just because no no one's ever launched themselves in a private rocket. I mean, as far as Oh, no. uh, it's either it's either been in a Russian or American spacecraft that any human being has ever gone up in a rocket, whether it's you know 500 feet or 5,000 feet or, or 100 miles.
1: Uh, Are there any laws against your uh, doing this?
7: Well, really, the only thing is that that depending on where I launch from, I will need to get a waiver from the FAA to to utilize that airspace, and that makes absolute sense. That's
1: all. I mean, uh, in other words, you. Uh uh, you obviously uh, issue a warning that uh, aircraft shouldn't be uh, in the area when you do what you're about to do, right?
7: We're right. It's, it's not me issuing a warning. I go to them. It's like, for instance, there's, um, Tripoli is a nationwide model rocket, uh organization that has chapters all over the U.S., And when they're going to do one of their high-altitude launches... They
1: notify the FAA.
7: Well, they don't only notify them. They actually have to apply for a permit, and the FAA will grant them a waiver.
1: I see, but that's that's as serious as it gets. And they do routinely grant those waivers for rocket enthusiasts, right? Sure, sure. And, And those kind of rocket enthusiasts have to be licensed.
7: Well, they they have to be members of a group and stuff. I'm going to be basically just going for a simple waiver that says, look, like, you know.
1: Now, uh, no, do you now? Now, they do have to be licensed. They go through a testing procedure, I believe, don't they?
7: Well, it depends on what class of, of
1: But project. when you really get up there to where you're going to put some way up there, then then you are required to get some kind of license. I think. Sure. Right?
7: And well, yes, you know what? And I'll tell you what. I, I look at this project, and it, I haven't got to that to that crossroad yet of having to deal with it. There's so much involved in this project right now. that I'm I, I do
1: think that's true, though. I, I, I have a number of model, I wouldn't,
7: I wouldn't doubt that model
1: rocketry magazines, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they talk about, in, in fact, they won't even sell rockets to people uh, who have not been licensed at a certain class or something or another. You know, I, it's it's kind of interesting. I looked into it because I wanted a rocket. I want a rocket for my front. I was going to put a rocket on my uh, front lawn. Mm-hmm. I thought that uh, it would send an interesting message to the community and my neighbors. Sure. Just to sort of have that rocket out there, never necessarily to launch it. But, I mean, right. it would be very cool on the front lawn.
7: Well, and, and, and I can understand. I mean, the whole point is that that <laughs> the government's got a very vested interest in making sure that But listen, can... hold
1: on. We're, we're at the bottom of the hour. Hold it right there. You know I had to do this, right? I mean, listen to the words.
2: Zero hours. 9 a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by (laughs) then.
0: We'll be right back. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March 27th, 2002.
2: It's lonely out in space Such a timeless flight And I think it's gonna be a long, long time So touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am
0: Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002. Just had to play that, didn't I? Right? Well,
1: listen. Listen to me very closely. Before you, uh, just as a result of listening to what we're saying right here, dismiss this out of hand. Uh, don't do that. Uh, really don't do that. You've got to go to my website. We have an array of, I think, uh, oh, probably uh, 20 or 30 photographs of uh, the rocket complex, the the complex in which all of this is being built, of uh, the, the parts, of the craft itself, I mean, of the, uh, the, the escape mechanism, the module, uh, the nozzles. There's a lot of new photographs up there. This is obviously an extremely serious, real effort. So before you dismiss this for one second, uh, you've got to go up there and take a look at the photographs. That would be my first suggestion to you, the man building all of this, The man who's going to ride atop it ultimately to 30 miles above Earth is on the line. He's Brian Walker, and he'll be right back. Uh, Once again, here's Brian Walker. Brian, um, I get questions during the course of the show by computer. Charlie in Edmonton, Alberta asks, has Rocket Guy ever skydived even once? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah.
7: I started taking uh actually it's funny, I, I made my first parachute jump in nineteen seventy two when I was sixteen. Oh. And that was in the days of old, all they had was military surplus equipment. And on my fourth static line jump I climbed out of the airplane and I was ready to go and the instructor grabs my shoulder and he says, Get back in the plane and the static line was actually wrapped around my arm.
2: Oh my had I God.
7: jumped it probably would have been all, all over. And I couldn't jump. I had to get back in the plane. He undid it. I climbed back out. But that was it. My mind froze and I couldn't jump. And it took me almost 20 years to face that fear and get up there and jump again. And
1: uh, Well, with that in mind, uh, and what do you have in mind, uh, how does all that square? I mean,
7: um, basically facing fear and getting past things. Uh, skydiving nowadays has become such a completely different activity than it was 20 years, 30 years ago. The equipment is far more sophisticated, uh, three times more reliable than the person jumping it. Um, And, you know, it's just like it's a matter of where you are in your head. Okay, so
1: you're now comfortable anyway. Oh,
7: yeah, yeah, completely.
1: All right, the craft uh, that you're going to launch, even your test rockets, Mm -hmm. um, are they going to be reusable?
7: Yes, that's one of the biggest, uh, with this test rocket, for instance, the biggest challenge I have is making sure that I can land it without destroying it or damaging it. Right. Because I want to be able to do several test launches to make sure that the systems all work.
1: Because it's worth a lot of money.
7: Well, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, The the way it's set up right now is there is, uh, in fact, the the pictures you have up on your site, the very first one shows me holding this big thing above my head. Right. That is the actual fuel cell, which goes inside of the gray body where the fins are. And that has a uh, carbon fiber wound tank that holds 30 gallons of fuel. And there are four carbon fiber. Of of what kind of fuel? Uh, 90% pure hydrogen peroxide. Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, all right. The way this thing works, basically, is 90% pure peroxide, when it reacts with silver, is a very violent reaction that produces steam as it expands. Uh, the, the old Bell rocket belt, which you've seen in James Bond and you know a million different places, that is the same type of fuel and the uh, same type of motor. <laughs> um, so I've got this fuel tank. It's a uh, 30-gallon tank. It's uh, 10 inches in diameter, 8 feet long. And then surrounding it, every 90 degrees, there's a four-inch diameter carbon fiber sleeve, which is nine feet long. And those uh, that whole assembly will fit over the pneumatic launcher, which is also seen there on the site. There's uh, four big blue tubes. And what happens is that at 40 pounds of air pressure, that will deliver 2,000 pounds of lift. So the moment the engine is uh, initiated, the compressed air will actually It will actually boost the whole rocket into the air, accelerating it to 30 miles an hour and 8 feet, and that gives it its momentum, and it overcomes the the fact that it's not sitting still, and it doesn't require the engine to overcome the dead weight.
1: So you're catapulting yourself, really. Right. If I had my way, way,
7: uh, I'd launch rockets a little bit differently than the way we've been doing it. I would build giant Earth-based catapults that would accelerate the rocket, to a, a very high velocity before requiring use of its own fuel. Uh, you know, you take a typical rocket, you know, whether it's a space shuttle or a Saturn or whatever, and you watch those things when they launch, and by the time they're reaching you know, several hundred feet in altitude and, and, and at high speeds, they've already used up an enormous amount of fuel. fuel
1: yeah, I, I've got you.
7: Which it had to carry in the first place. It's like if you had to climb a, a, a 10-mile ladder, And figured it was going to take you a week to climb that ladder. If you had to carry all your own fuel and water, you'd never be able to make. You'd never even be able to do it. Mm -hmm. If you were being supplied your fuel, your water, and your food on your way up the ladder, you'd be much lighter, and you'd be able to do it much more efficiently.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
7: So. I'm a big believer that that putting things into space should not be done by lighting a fuse and letting it start from scratch at a standstill and having to carry every single bit of its own
1: fuel. Well, I I would think then that the the timely ignition of your rocket would be... uh Really critical item. In other words, you don't want for one second be, uh, begin falling or tumbling or doing something that's not sound when the rockets rockets uh, when the engine does ignite.
7: Well, it, it, exactly. And what exactly will happen is that the, it, it, it happens kind of simultaneously. Once, fortunately, with this type of rocket, the ignition is a result of a chemical reaction, and when the valve is opened up, the the, the fuel tank is pressurized, and the fuel is forced into the catalyst chamber under pressure. There's one basically um, rotary ball uh, ball joint basically that opens up and it allows the fuel flow and the rocket belt for instance the Bell rocket belt had thousands of thousands of flights with with virtually never any problem because it's such a it's such a simple process it's not like trying to mix uh, an oxidizer liquid oxygen and and you know kerosene or alcohol and control a combustion and a burn and where you know if you're off by a uh, several several percentage points in your mixture, you could have an explosion or a burnout. This is opening up a valve and allowing the fuel to flow through. So what will happen is basically as soon as that fuel uh, valve opens up and the rocket engine reaches a certain point, that's when the compressed air launcher will release it. So it won't be dependent upon one or the other. They will operate basically simultaneously.
1: All right. Well, you said now the test rockets you're going to be launching, oh, which include you're getting on one of them. Is going to be about half scale, right?
7: It's about half size. It's not a true compare. It's not a true scale down version because the full size rocket is designed to carry nine thousand pounds of fuel. Okay,
1: so how are you going to fit into this smaller version?
7: Well, the capsule portion on top is uh, twenty seven inch diameter, six and a half feet tall, and the idea is that there's a, a, a huh. the door on it is virtually full size as my body and i'll be wearing a complete set a uh, complete skydiving rig with a you know regular parachute and emergency
1: parachute and yeah hey, but that's like a uh, that, that's what what you just described size-wise is about a coffin
7: well i don't particularly like this, that that may not be a good analogy
1: but but the, <laughs> it doesn't
7: need to be it's like a, it's like being in a phone booth okay it's like being in a phone booth
1: okay we'll use phone booth
7: okay um, and the thing is i'll only be in it for maybe 45 seconds
1: 45
7: so there's no reason that adrenaline it
1: needs to be, pumping seconds
7: yes it'll be a very very much adrenaline but I'll, I'll tell you quite honestly um, I look at this from the means by which the, uh, I plan on launching it by giving it its momentum uh, I'm also I'm doing two things on this not only am I using the compressor catapult to give it its actual momentum but there's also the the thin setup on this is set up to where the fins at launch are extremely large surface area, which means at low airspeed, they are very effective because it's comparing uh, holding your hand out the window of a car at 10 miles an hour versus 60 miles an hour, right.
2: and then holding
7: a clipboard, you know, your hand at 10 miles an hour doesn't do much, and at 60, but you a clipboard. Yeah. you hold a clipboard out, and at 60 miles an hour, you lose control of it if you turn it. That's right. So... The fins on the rocket, there's four large fins that are there for the full length. But when I launch, there's a section that actually doubles the surface of the each fin. It's like an overlay. And so the moment the rocket comes off the launcher, at 30 miles an hour, the surface area of the fins are so large that it would actually take some other action to cause the rocket to not go straight. Do you see what I'm saying? I do. And as soon as I reach a certain speed point, then there's a there's basically a ripcord-style pin that pulls out, and those overlays are, are shed off the rocket. And now I'm not carrying the problem of, of course, the large fin is great at low speed, but when you get to a higher speed, it can induce instability. So I'm losing those fins. Now, on the full-size rocket, there will actually be three fin sections. And when I launch, the fin sections are about, each one's about the size of a sheet of plywood, so there's a, a, a very large aerodynamic surface. And when I reach 100 miles an hour and then again around 350 miles an hour, these sections come off, which finally trims it down to where the fin size at the, when it, the, the permanent fin, the small fin, is trimmed for the rest of the, the flight. Because, of course, mats point on, I'll accelerate, and the atmosphere gets thinner and thinner, of course, so there's a kind of a, a curve where the speed and the density of the atmosphere, uh, and, of course, then the rocket begins weather veining also, where just the length and the size and the shape of the rocket causes it to want to point straight. Now, the, also, the main rocket, the full, or the full-size rocket, uh, it has eight 55-pound thrust rocket motors in the nose, and what those that does, that keeps it pointed straight. Remember, I'm not trying to... Go to any specific location, so guidance on this is not critical. No, you're just trying
1: to go. Uh... I just
7: want to stay going straight. That's that's the secret here. Is I just want to go straight. I don't want to go cartwheeling off.
1: You yeah. Know. You know, yeah, like I I have seen a lot of the NASA launched rockets cart cartwheel off and uh and um, you know, many, many, many rockets have cartwheeled off and so you think this will prevent that eventuality. Well,
7: Yeah, the the three things. Using the the guided assisted launch. For instance, if you've ever lost, launched a small model rocket like a little Estes rocket or something, when you don't use the guide rod and you just set it on the ground, it doesn't need you know, it it, it it'll cartwheel everywhere. But you put it up that...
1: Yes, I've launched some number like that. Okay, well... Very dangerous.
7: And then when you put it on that little launch rod, if you give it, if you give it a controlled distance to accelerate, that makes all the difference. It's kind of like the difference between shooting a a small pistol with a short barrel and a long rifle. The greater distance you have
1: to... That's true. This way you have, uh, every possibility of destroying a house several blocks away.
7: <laughs> yeah. Well, Instead well, of your own. <laughs> there again, I plan on launching in an area that's so remote that, that that if you figure the highest.
1: point... Okay. Well, that's at, the next question. Where, where are you going to launch?
7: Well, actually, you know, there's a number of areas I've been looking at, but my, my favorite choice right now at this point, just because of its location and, and the vast size of it, is the Black Rock Desert in Nevada, where they do the Burning Man and they do a lot of model rocket launches there also. So that's such a vast area that uh, there's places I could launch there, and if you figure my highest point. No matter what would occur as far as drift and everything else, I would still not come down outside of a of a cone. Right. That would be in a, a certain direction. In any or in any direction I might go, I'm going to still come down within the confines of an area.
1: How how much of a crew will you have with you? Oh, you know, recovery a- that kind of thing.
7: there will be um, quite a good-sized crew. I've had so many offers to do this as a live television event, and people wanting to do all kinds of... uh, Well, why not? Well, that's it. Why not? I mean, um, that's going to... I, I think in many respects that with the number of people that want to show up to this launch, just trying to organize that kind of event alone... Is half again as big of a project as this whole thing is
1: I mean I, I for example I guarantee Ramona and I will get in the RV we'll come up there yeah hey, so. we'll, you I mean, know we'll I do a broadcast we'll, oh yeah we'll do a broadcasters <laughs> absolutely no question about it and I don't do those things but I would do that
7: yeah well I, I would I would be uh I'd be honored to have you do that so um, but there again I'd like to much I'd much rather turn over dealing with that aspect of this to someone that wants to cover that end of it uh, as far as a crew they'll be you know, I've got I've had so many people volunteer to want to do different things. I've had people with ex, with experience in telemetry and all different aspects that that because uh, I can't. You know, I'm doing basically the grant work of building all the components, uh, with the exception, for instance, of my rocket motors. Uh, I have a guy in Florida that's been building my rocket motors because he he's been doing peroxide rocket motors for 30 years and and knows what
1: he's doing He
7: knows what he's doing and i don't have you know it doesn't make any sense to me to invest in giant huge metal lays and stuff for that small portion in other
1: words why reinvent the wheel
7: exactly uh but i enjoy doing the building for instance the fuel tank setup that thing is uh that that, that's really i enjoy doing that it's extremely laborious and time-consuming and and yet, there's kind of a Zen thing of getting out there and starting sure. with these sure. raw materials and turning out something. And that tank, there's that tank? Uh, I'm uh, getting ready to do tests on it, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that thing would be able to take f- three to four thousand pounds of air pressure, well. and it only weighs uh, it only weighs ten pounds.
1: Well, are you married?
7: No, uh, that's an interesting story, though. Um, I'm going to be soon. You I actually met, You have a fiance? I met uh, yes, I met a woman in Russia. Oh,
1: congrac- in Russia? In Russia. And oh, well, congratulations. Uh,
7: thank you. She's um very wonderful, very just she's uh she's my soulmate. I mean, I have no doubt that uh, we'd spent 3 months of daily email correspondence and when I went in uh, last April to fly the MiG, we had arranged a meeting and from the moment we met, um she's, you saw stars. Yeah, and she had actually wanted to be a cosmonaut when she was a little girl and always dreamed of it. So when she heard what I was doing, um, you know, she was just...
1: So really, you, you, well now you're sure you, she didn't fall in love with uh, what you were doing more more than you?
7: No, because once we'd actually met, and I went and spent the first time, when I met her last April, I was there for two weeks, I flew the MIG, and, and she has a little boy who's eight, who's just a absolutely just a wonderful little boy.
1: So Uh, you're going to be a father, too?
7: Yes, I see. uh, Holy mackerel. From a 46-year-old bachelor to a married parent in one step. But uh, (laughs)
1: I'll
7: tell you, it's funny. I've never had real strong um, desires to have a family until the past couple of years. uh,
1: Well, my point when I asked was, and still is, I mean, obviously she's going to be, I guess, supportive of what you're about to do, or does she have questions?
7: Well, she's very supportive of it, and yet... She has the fear that you might normally expect.
1: Yes, uh, I mean honest, here she did. is about to come all the way from Russia.
7: Yep, and just to, just to come over and see me go up in the fireball. That's the and, yep. and I'll tell you yep. quite honestly that's been one of the reasons that I have kind of made some changes to this program because uh. before she came along I was a uh, probably a little uh, prone to be a little bit less.
1: Um, well, you were ready to light the match.
7: Oh, I was ready to light the match.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, okay. So I, I mean, do you think that having suddenly a wife and, and a child uh, will will cause you to further rethink the risk.
7: Uh, it will, Well, there again, that's why the test rocket's there. And the test rocket has to perform the way I expect it to three times, and then I'll go up in it. If I have a feeling that it's not going to go well and I'm not going to survive the thing, I won't go in it.
1: And you're going to have a test amount of uh, Brian Walker yeah. Yeah. weight in the rocket, right? Yeah,
7: there'll be a, a Brian Walker test dummy. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I was. I figured, well, I better not put an animal in there. I'll get peed after me. So, and I wouldn't. I wouldn't impose that on an animal anyway. So,
1: isn't that strange? I mean, uh, if you put an animal in a rocket, an organization comes after you. Right. But if you, as a human, get in a rocket,
7: they're there. It's like light, cool. lighting the match for you. Yeah, they're
1: they're lighting the match. <laughs> That's an interesting yeah, it's world that we live strange. in. Yeah, it really is. Um, so, okay, uh, when might your wife be coming to join you? I'm hoping
7: to go back over in May.
1: Oh, in May. Oh, so, oh.
7: It's coming up. It's coming up. It's, it's been actually a very interesting turn of events, the way things have all happened, because, uh, you know, like I said, I'm 45 years old, and I, it was kind of unexpected that I would find love at this point in my life, but that's what it is. I don't know what else to say.
1: Hey, it strikes. That's it strikes. That's life. She's,
7: she's just such a such a lovely woman. I just can't even. Uh, I can't even begin to say. It.
1: Is she about your age?
7: No, no. She's she's quite a bit younger. She's twenty. She'll be twenty nine in April.
1: Twenty nine. Yeah.
7: Well, uh, I want to have a I want to have a child of my own. And she wants to have another one, so it was imperative to find
1: someone you know younger. Wow. Uh. So. All right. Well. Uh Boy, you have had a rich, full life here of late, haven't you?
7: Yeah, it's been interesting. I mean, you know, the, 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 I've been an inventor all my life, and it's been tough because, you know, I'm a dreamer. I dream. I see things. I, I see, I you know, I see things before I do them, and then I've got to. Comp- it's kind of like if you go ahead and, uh, in a time machine and see something, then you've got to come back and accomplish it.
1: <laughs>
2: you
7: know what I mean?
1: Uh, Philip in Hattiesburg, uh, I guess Pennsylvania, asks, Art, ask him, why is he doing this? And if it does work, how far will he go? Well, we've covered that. Uh, What will he do next? And has he ever had treatment for this disorder? (laughs) You you can hold your answer until after the, uh, the break. We're at the top of the hour. Uh, don't dismiss this, uh, not for one second. You go look at the photos uh, before you even call me tonight. You look at
0: those photos. I'm Art Bell. This is Coast to Coast AM. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002. God keeps his eye on somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from March twenty seventh, 2002.
1: Brian Walker is my guest called the Rocket Guy. and uh, Tonight's qualification to be a caller is that you have seen the photographs on the website. Go to my website, look at the photographs, because otherwise you just wouldn't believe, you couldn't believe that he's really about to do what he's about to do. You just wouldn't believe it. So that's a qualification. Go up there and take a look at the photographs first. Again, here is Brian Walker, aka Rocket Guy. Uh Brian, let's pick up where we left off. Uh assuming that I mean, what if all this works? If your um test rockets go fine, your first uh, personal flight goes fine, even the big flight goes fine, what you what might you would there be anything else or would you then say, "Look, I have achieved my goal. I've made history." Uh so I quit.
7: Uh, that's you know I've given a lot of thought to that, and I think that uh, there's a very good chance that that's probably where I'd be at. Um, I'm already getting really tired because I've been at this for so long, uh, and you know, getting back to a couple of the questions that I asked: Why am I doing this? And you know, I don't think I can sit and give you an absolute, definitive, exact answer, other than the fact that I'm there's a drive to do this that uh, kind of propels me on. Why? Uh, well. I guess maybe it's a combination of the fact that, you know, I've always been totally intrigued by space, and the idea of being able to travel in space has just been, you know, one of those things that I've always wished I could do. Secondly, is the idea of approaching a project of this size and actually carrying through and doing it kind of like a um, kind of completing a life doctorate. You know, this is kind of the, the thing that, um,
1: I, you know, just. Yeah, I, I can respect that. Yes. All right. Uh, and then you... the third
7: thing, if I might, just add this also. Having the, you know, in the past uh, twenty two months, I had about eleven million hits on my website, and
1: right. uh,
7: probably about close to ten thousand emails. And the kind of emails I get from people, the majority of them are so incredible. Uh, the, the amount of uh, support and people telling me how the fact that I'm approaching this dream has given them the motivation to go after their dream. And I'm beginning to see that there's something much bigger, maybe here that I never really expected. Uh, So there's a number of reasons that are driving me to do this.
1: Well, that also is pressure, though.
7: It is pressure. It's a lot of pressure, and that's one of the reasons that I was really happy to be able to get back on these shows because I know that uh, for every maybe two or three hundred emails I get that are great, positive, and wonderful, I'll get one. You know, that I've had some kind of I've had some pretty ugly emails from people and. Um,
1: there again, fortunately, they're what, what kind of ugly? I mean, do they call you a lunatic or, um,
7: um, you know, uh, well, worse than that. I mean, I had some people worse. that are just, I think they're just angry because, um, for some reason, I don't know. I, uh, you know, like I said, fortunately, they're very, very few and far between. I get some people that originally would say, well, you know, you're nuts or whatever, and I can deal with that because.
1: But you said anger. That's interesting. There's always ang- angry result. You I did a program last night and I knew it was coming. And I just knew it was coming. Uh, the kind of subject uh material we dealt with last night. Just reams of angry oh, email and, and so I'm used to that. Any anybody in my position oh, is. Good. Um but, but what kind of angry, I mean, what appeared to motivate the anger in, in those few that you did get?
7: Oh, I don't, you know, maybe just disturbed people. Um, I mean, I've had some from people just like, you know, um, you know you're know, you going to die, you're going to burn, I'm going to laugh, da-da-da. Kind of, you know, just some disturbed stuff.
1: Oh, that's kind.
7: Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: I hope this is not a rude question, but you have had, at some point in your life, a, a competent psychiatric exam. So, I mean, you are... Um, balance more or less right well
7: i'll tell you I, i've always considered that what separates a sane person from an insane person is the sane person stops on occasion to question their sanity fortunately i do that a lot uh, you know one of the questions that 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 last call or, or the last one you asked about um yes. my disorder i'm like well which disorder because like i'm highly dyslexic i've always been dyslexic Everything's, you know it's one of the reasons I was a horrible student when I got out of high school. That was it for me as far as formal education.
1: You have dyslexia.
7: Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, now, I isn't, that, real... isn't that
1: bad in the rocket business?
7: Um, I don't, personally, I've never really thought of dyslexia as a disorder. Uh, I see it as, as something that appears as a disorder in a world where things are used to a certain way. But uh, if you go back historically, um, people... That have always been considered brilliant or have done big things in life and stuff. I think you find that most of them they would a little crazy. Well, can no be considered dyslexic though. I see things forward to backward. and As, as an inventor, it's very beneficial to be able to see a project from the finished state and kind of in my own mind back engineer it. Uh, it does cause problems in other areas though. Uh, I went up flying yesterday uh, to get pictures of the property to put in the website. And, uh, oh,
1: those uh, those uh, aerial shots we aerial had? You, shots. You, you just got those, huh? I
7: just took those yesterday. The, oh, the, right. The new, well, the newest ones. The newest ones uh, that show the completed dome. Yes. And uh, uh, so I don't have a license. I've, I, I've flown with friends and family members all my life, but uh, so a buddy of mine called him up, and we went and got an airplane. And I still get up there, and, and every so often it's like, I'll push something when I should pull something. So. Dyslexia. Well, that's that's why I was saying though,
1: in the rocket business, uh, uh, pushing or pulling at the right moment would be.
7: I'm designing everything to be not. It's not. Look, it's it's not so much of a disability. In other words,
1: it's It's dyslexia friendly. friendly.
7: It's no. Well, (laughs) yes, there's nothing that's too. It's you know, like I said, I don't have problems driving or anything like that. The point is, it's like it's just there in this part of me and it makes certain things difficult.
1: maybe you just need little signs uh if necessary pull this damn it brian don't push it
7: yeah push don't pull yeah, that's uh, all right
1: all right well you know uh raven in modesto says um okay then art should we call your guest brian sky <laughs> <laughs>
7: no but it's interesting i got an email from a, guy, a brian walker in scotland today uh, did you really yeah i uh uh, I've had e- I've had emails from all over the world. I've done 334 radio interviews in the past 22 months.
2: <laughs> I mean,
7: all over and 58 TV shows. And, and you know, the the thing is, here is like I never, in my wildest dreams, expected uh, two years ago when I did my first story that this thing was going to continue. I mean, I thought after the launch, of course, there'd be tons of of interest in this, but it's, it's just been this, this juggernaut, and there's been times when I just wanted to completely stop anything. Uh, but really, the thing that's kept me doing, you know, interviews and stuff is the fact that uh, there's times really when it's extremely difficult to motivate myself to, 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 to go down to the shop and, and, and work on this because at times the project just seems too big. And well, have you means,
1: had uh, volunteers, and have you accepted volunteers? I mean, I, in, in the actual work part of this, I would think a number of people would volunteer, and out of that number, a few would be good souls who really would work.
7: I've had lots and lots of people that have offered to volunteer. They want to come work here and work with me and stuff. The problem is I really enjoy my, my solitude and being just doing things on my own. I have one fellow here locally, a young guy, uh, Dave.
1: Well, of course, if something goes wrong, you only have yourself.
7: Well, it's not only like that, but it's just like, for instance...
1: Or actually your new Russian wife would only have... Right.
7: right. Having too many people around would be difficult just because it would upset the flow of things, and trying to... Relay what I want done to someone else and not being concerned about wanting to walk, look over their shoulders and stuff like that. It's yeah, a very difficult yeah, thing
1: I see that. to
7: give up. This one guy that, that does come work, he comes a couple
1: days a week. And it's kind of like me. packing your own parachute, right?
7: Well, yes. I mean, there's a lot of things that I just, this has been my my baby and my project forever and, and I want to do as much of it as I can. And uh, there may become a point in time where I decide to bring in some more help. Um, You know, as I've already done in certain parts, like the rocket motors and things like that. Now,
1: going back to the full-scale model, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're up uh, 30 miles, Mm -hmm. essentially there's no air, right? There's no air. In fact, where does the, uh, well, good, easily breathable air is about 13,005, somewhere in there, feet, Mm Well,
7: yes, for instance... Beyond that,
1: you better have an oxygen mask. It is recommended. And and then where does the air really begin to disappear?
7: Well, uh, for instance, if you're flying an airplane, you need supplemental oxygen. I think it's over 12,000 or 12,500 feet.
1: Yeah, somewhere in there. Uh, If
7: you go skydiving, for instance, you can go up to that altitude and jump. Now, if you start getting the higher you go above that, of course, then you begin suffering hypoxia and you start losing your ability to you know, comprehend what's going on. And of course, flying an airplane or anything like
1: that. Yeah, but again, you're going 30 miles. So what I'm asking is, where, okay, where does I'm, the oxygen really start?
7: Well, I'm going to know. be in a fully pressurized. The capsule is fully pressurized. It'll be pressurized to six psi. Um, and then also, one of the one of the one of the nice things here is that I managed to talk to a Russian space agency into selling me a spacesuit. And I uh, bought the. Uh, I have a, the same exact.
1: You uh, have a spacesuit. I suit? have
7: my own spacesuit.
1: Russian spacesuit.
7: In fact, suit? can I put my web, website?
1: Uh, oh, of course, yes. <laughs> rocketguide.com.
7: dot com. There's pictures of my spacesuit. Uh, RocketGuy.
1: dot com. Um,
7: yeah. com. And uh, yeah, I got a Russian spacesuit, which is the same ones that they wear when they go up to the um, when they go up in space. And it's not an EVA. There's basically two different types of spacesuits. You have your emergency spacesuit, and you have a, an EVA suit.
1: And this is an emergency. This
7: is an emergency suit. It's designed to provide a atmosphere around your body in the event of a catastrophic cabin pressure loss.
1: For how long?
7: Well, that depends on how... The, 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 the spacesuit itself is just a containment vessel. Uh, I mean, length, once
1: again, so everybody understands. Uh, I mean, people who... Uh, so that people understand. Sure. Um, for example, the, the highest mountain in the world is what 29,000 in uh, change. Right. Uh, and at that point, they call it the death zone from about right. twenty oh seven, twenty twenty five to 20 nine somewhere in there is a death zone and, and people die at that altitude uh, right quite people, readily and, and so that's only uh, miles five thousand two hundred eighty feet so let's right. say you're going to be out of air real quick
7: i'll be out of air very quickly and but there again like for instance when i was in the mig that was at that altitude of course if there was a um cabin loss uh... without the air without the uh, air mask the um, uh... oxygen mask and pressure suit you know you'd, been, you'd be in serious trouble there yep. but, that's why I have the spacesuit. Now, the length of time, of course, that I could survive in the spacesuit depends on the life support system it's connected to. Yeah. Since this flight will only be about, in duration, 15 to 20 minutes long, the amount of air supply and the life support system that the spacesuit's hooked to has to only be a very short duration.
1: Tell me uh, something. Uh, what will the view be like uh, at, at at 30 miles? You must know what it will look like, roughly. Well,
7: I'll tell you, from looking at it from the MIG, and there's pictures on my website that I took at, at, from the MIG at at, at 80,000 feet, you know, at that altitude, you could, see the, you could see a very well-defined curvature of the Earth.
1: Right. Oh, sure.
7: Oh, and looking at the edge of the Earth, you'd see the uh, thin blue atmosphere, and it would go pitch dark. Yes. So that is going to be exacerbated considerably. It will be quite a bit more defined at 30 miles up. And so you know, quite a
1: bit is an understatement i think uh yeah big big understatement i at thirty miles uh you'll be looking down on on all the atmosphere right
7: ninety nine point nine nine percent of it.
1: of the atmosphere right uh at thirty miles has has your uh at 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 at, at your highest point uh where will you be with respect to gravity
7: well this is an interesting about gravity that the gravity remains constant for a very long ways in space. The reason that the people are weightless experience weightlessness, for instance, in the space shuttle or the international space station, yes. is because the the spacecraft is orbiting the Earth at at, at seventeen thousand five hundred miles an hour, and the centrifugal force at that speed is exactly uh, cancels out the pull of gravity.
1: But but if you were to uh, if you were to stop the space shuttle mm-hmm. in its present orbit uh, and just brought it to zero miles per hour,
7: everybody would fall down. And have they'd have a, a percentage of gravity less than Earth, but it would be nom. It would be it would be marginal. It wouldn't
1: be like. Is that right?
7: Yeah, because it's that's what that's why. Because if you think about it, they're traveling 17,500 miles an hour. You consider that speed. Picture the same thing if you spin a bucket of water around over your head. Right. That water is glued to the inside surface. (laughs) When you begin to slow that bucket down as you spin it, the water gets sloshy. And if you slow slow enough, it will you know it will fall down on top of you. Yes. So if you consider that the space shuttle is traveling at such an incredible speed, the centrifugal forces in there, if that was not being counteracted by the pull of gravity, would have them glued to the opposite side of the space shuttle. So that's kind of a, you know, there's a kind of a. a so then, really,
1: uh, in your flight, even though it's 30 miles up, uh, you w- will not experience. Uh, you will not experience weightlessness uh, at all. In fact, You'll have almost 1g at that altitude.
7: Well, no. What I'm t- basically told, actually, is that what, as long as, when I'm accelerating, I will be experiencing g forces.
1: Of course, yes.
7: Once the engine shuts off. Then I will go into basically a waitlist period.
1: Oh, there will be a weightless period. Yeah,
7: for the period of time that I am actually from in free flight as I stop accelerating and coasting.
1: Uh, oh no kidding. Yeah. Well okay, uh, for about how long do they ask me?
7: Well that depends on the that depends there's a lot there that's kind of unknown at this point, just because, for instance, the rocket's going to consume 90 pounds of fuel per second and so it's going to be putting out 12,000 pounds of thrust.
1: And at the at the fastest, uh, how fast will you be going?
7: It could reach speeds of between Mach 3 and Mach, Mach
1: 4. Mach 3 by and time high, it, By yeah, time yeah. it runs
7: out of fuel, in, 90, within, in a 90-second So you
1: are going to break the sound barrier some number of times.
7: It'll, well, it'll break the sound barrier very quickly, once it, you know, it'll, within the first, you know, probably... Um, 20 seconds of launch, it will have already broken the
1: sound Now, I, I've broken the sound barrier. I've been in a jet, broken a sound bar- the sound barrier oh, twice, a Mach 2 and better. Uh, how would you describe the feeling uh, that you have when you break the sound barrier?
7: Well, you know, when, we, when I broke the sound barrier in the MIG, I didn't even know it. The only, the only way I could tell was looking at the instruments, all the instruments that, that depend upon airflow. Um, you know, vertical uh, or the airspeed indicator and stuff. Yes. Just as you reach that point, they flutter. And other than that, I didn't have any. Con- I didn't have any feeling that I was breaking the sound barrier. Uh, that watching. sounds
1: very interesting because I, I went Paris on the Concorde, right. and, and uh, of course it's a very smooth right. flight, probably unlike the MiG uh, But uh, in the Concorde, uh, when we hit Mach one, you could kind of feel a a, a sort of a slight backward and then a slight forward motion. Uh it, it was uh, it was very subtle. Uh but you could you could assert a feel a slight backward and then a forward motion. It was kind of it was really interesting. Same deal at Mach two.
7: Well I'm I'm very certain that uh different aircraft obviously have different characteristics That's in that respect.
1: Probably true. Now the
7: MiG, of course, the the sheer the sheer power of that thing is just mind boggling. The the engine the two Engines in this thing and the, the exhausts on those engines are like four and a half feet in diameter. And I mean, it, it's just, um, it's just amazingly just a powerful thing. And actually on the way down, when we got down to Mach 1.5 at 60,000 feet, he let me take the stick. And I got I, the he did. I did barrel roll left and a barrel roll right
1: going Mach 1.5. Really? That was, that
7: was the coolest thing I've done to date.
1: Um, uh, gee, uh, was that uh, included in the package?
7: Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, the guy that, that my pilot, uh, a guy named Alexander Gurnov, who's a very well-renowned Russian aviator and, and uh, you know just a fantastic flyer. Yes. He basically he was the, he was the flight instructor. He flew the airplane and. We went up, and uh, he was in the back. I was in the front. The MiG-25, the normal MiG-25, is a single-seater. The one I was in was a trainer that has an extended nose.
1: All right, hold that thought. We'll, We'll be right back. But truly, only in America,
0: only in America,
8: can a guy from anywhere
0: launch himself. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March
2: 27, 2002.
0: Network presents Art Bell Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired March 27, 2002.
1: Well, I'm not sure Ben Me" Me was a good choice bumper music either, but um, oh well. Uh, Brian Walker a.k.a. Rocket Guy is is my guest. And again, I'm going to say this again. If you want to call and talk to Brian this morning it'll it'll, uh, first require that you go to my website and look at the photographs. I really mean that. Uh, otherwise, you cannot possibly imagine how serious he really is. For all the joking around that we might be doing about this, this guy is real serious. He's got what amounts to a factory. He's built most of what he's going to use. It's uh, it's real serious stuff, and it's all well-documented. 20, 30 at least uh, photographs up there on the website. So uh, go see those so that you can comment intelligently. Otherwise, you just wouldn't believe it. I mean, you couldn't believe it. In order to properly comment or ask a question, so get to a computer and and take a look. See for when we open lines, which will be shortly. Uh, once again, Brian Skywalker. Uh, Brian. Uh, hmm. You know, I, I really, uh, Only in America was a much more inspiring song uh, for what you're doing than Ben Me, Shave Me. But I, that uh, brought a question to mind, and that is the following. When we originally talked about all of this, you were going to launch the big one first. I mean, you were just going to do a one-time, mm-hmm. I'm going up 30 miles, mm-hmm. baby. And, uh, you know, the, the consideration of, well, can I get permission? Do I have to get permission? Do I have to talk to the military? Do I have to do this, do that, What NASA, whatever? will somebody come and try to stop me and all the rest of it then you know i understand the position you were taking was hey you know if i don't have all the permissions to hell with them i'll do it and face consequences uh, when i get back uh you know like guys who climb buildings and stuff mm-hmm. like that uh and i and i understand that but now that you're planning three test launches of mm-hmm. of significant rockets uh it's it's kind of a different uh a, t- t- a kettle of tea now, isn't it?
7: Well, yes, it is. And the thing is, it's like um, I don't want to be put in the category of someone that is going out and doing things that um, defies, um, you know, defies laws and stuff like that. I, I, this isn't about that. And
1: well, I know, but I, I mean, now now you might be forced. Uh, in other words, you might be confronted uh, when you launch your first rocket. And then prevented from doing it again, uh, or fi- find yourself in violation of something or another. So, well, I'll tell you, I, I, I,
7: one of one of the things I'm going to do is uh, face those things. Go, I'm going to go out and, and get permission to do it. I mean, it's what really boils down to it. Uh, there's specific reasons why there's laws, obviously, governing this type of activity, and mostly it's so that other people. Uh, Innocent bystanders are not put in harm's way, which is nothing, right. nothing that I want to do. Right. Um, but the fact of the matter is I can get in my automobile and become a much greater menace to a much larger number of people than the oh, sure. rocket possibly could be. So yeah. I, there again, if I had started at the very beginning of this project, if I had sat down and said, okay, before I begin anything, I'm going to go out and find out what... Legal hurdles I need to clear. It's a very good chance I never would have even started the project. I yeah, I agree with that. Those so are hardens. Sure. And so, what? You know, I've always had kind of a little uh, tongue-in-cheek saying: it's, "It's a free planet. If I want to leave it, who has the right to stop me?" And there well, again, I
1: mean, maybe the CIA, the FBI, um, NASA. Um,
7: NASA, NASA itself does not have any governing authority over me. Uh, it's The FAA is
1: the, well, the, the FAA, agency. local police, uh, you know, all kinds of agencies.
7: But, you know, that's another thing. I'm, and I can understand if I all of a sudden just came out of nowhere and, you know, two days before my launch was going to do something like this. But that's one of the reasons I'm being so open and upfront about this is because I'm not out to pose a threat. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, and of course, obviously, ever since September 11th, there's been some people saying, you know, well, do you think people are going to look at this as something that might be a threat or something? And um, no, that's one of the reasons. Well, I... probably
1: not. I mean, all they have to do is look into your history. I mean, you've uh, you've been engaged in this now long, long, long before September sure. 11th was a glimmer in Osama bin Laden's eye. So,
7: and in the place where you plan on launching, wherever that may end up eventually being. Is now that there are
1: laws that... against killing yourself. Pardon me? There are laws against killing yourself. Well,
7: that's 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 true. But no, I live in Oregon. <laughs>
1: well, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I you're mean, right.
7: Look, but, but you're
1: not too. going to be launching in Oregon. You're going to be launching here in my state. Yeah,
7: well, let's see. This is jurisdictional borders to worry about. But if I can get a doctor to uh, to. Uh, uh, sign off that I'm terminal, then I could just say, well, this is my accepted means. <laughs> yeah, well, all right, then.
1: Don't you think that, um, let's say, when you uh, get your rocket done and mm-hmm. you put it on some kind of trailer right, and haul it down to Nevada,
2: mm-hmm.
1: now, that's going to provoke, right, right away there, some interest uh, as people see this giant rocket passing them on the highway, or as they pass it, more likely, I suppose. Uh, but uh, to be hauling a rocket down the road... Uh, how are, you yeah, go- but, how are you going to do that?
7: Uh, well, right now, for instance, my test rocket is on a 16-foot trailer. And okay. it looks, I mean, you know, it looks, it, it has a very, uh, I don't want to use the word menacing, but, I mean, it's a big, long, gray.
1: Well, see, uh, that's my point. Yeah, see, people uh, since 9-11, when they see this rocket going down the road, they're probably going to imagine all kinds of things. Yeah,
7: but not when it's being towed by a Mercedes SUV. I mean, that right there kind of sets the pace.
1: Well, I don't know about that no, I,
7: Well, there again, that's one of the reasons I've had so much publicity And I've had so much attention with this um, I'm not real Those That's something that I'm not real worried about And of course, when it comes time to launch it In that respect, um, there'll be quite a bit of hoopla And it's not going to be just like me cruising on the highway with this rocket, there'll be quite an entourage of of sport vehicles.
1: And I remembered you said you were going to have Hooters girls. No, that was... <laughs> that was before the Russian bride-to-be. Yeah, right? Oh, by the way, related. has your Russian bride-to-be asked you anything about insurance? No. No? Okay. No. Well, all right. No. Uh, so anyway, so no Hooters girls now? They're out? No,
7: nah, I probably will forego that. Um, you know, I mean, I wanted to have my little
1: cheerleader. There goes half my reason for coming.
7: Well, hey, if you, if you can organize and still just have me come along, that t- I, I won't <laughs> I won't talk. Let me put that <laughs> right. just, I'm
1: just kidding you. Um, all right. Uh, have you really taken time with your bride to be in? You've really sat down and... Um, uh, oh, she to, she does she knows. speak enough English to, uh, or do you speak enough Russian so that you can have a serious heart to heart?
7: No, I tried r- oh. learning Russian, but it's a very difficult language, mm. and at, at my age, trying to learn a brand new language like that, the, the amount of time and energy and effort to put into it would be extremely difficult.
1: She well, then studying... I decided, I don't know how you do it then. I, so she speaks uh, very she little speaks... English, or?
7: She started studying English uh, just about one year ago. Right after we met, she started English, and now. Um, she's very, she's, she's, do, she's doing very, very well. And it's so actually then, funny. I mean,
1: you gotta like sit down with her then and I guess show her a picture of the rocket and point to yourself and go, me. <laughs> <laughs>
7: no, actually, when we started corresponding, <clears throat> uh, it was through the emails and she had uh, software to k- translate. Translate, yeah. And we actually had, for the first six months, our email communications was our major, obviously, just about our only way of communicating, and was very very easy to understand each other.
2: Uh-huh.
7: Uh, and, of course, the first two times I went there, we uh, she could understand almost everything I said if I spoke slowly and if I searched for words and if I used my little electronic translator, hmm. uh, but she could not formulate thoughts quick enough to respond um, immediately. And it was really kind of neat because every time we'd get together, we'd talk, and the, or basically I'd talk. I'd get home that night, and she would have sat down and responded to me through the email, and it was really quite. Um, it was very nice.
1: Now, now, you you live at the Rocket Ranch. I live at the Rocket, so, so Ranch, called, right? The Rocket Compound. Yeah, Rocket Compound. All right. So, um, since you've got a wife and a child uh, soon to be at the Rocket Compound, somehow. I don't picture your rocket compound as um, domestic. Well, really domestic.
7: It's not I have to admit I do not have what would be considered your typical domestic dwelling right
1: place. right. Uh, That's however, probably going to have to change to some degree.
7: Well, the house I have a very nice little uh, log house. It's a very very nice cozy log home. Uh-huh. and then of course, I have the, the two shops and the dome. And I'm basically going to turn the home over to her and let her do what she wants here because I've got now my shops and my dome to mm-hmm. occupy me.
1: Wise choice.
7: Yes, it's it's uh, it's, it's it's about time.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, what about uh, at 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 30 miles now? Uh, if you take a like, you know. A 757 uh, or 747 uh, a trip to Europe, you get up pretty high, and, uh, and, and, and you know, it, like, I'm, I'm trying to remember now, but at about 38,000, 39,000 feet, uh, they display the temperature for you, and it goes down to, like, uh, oh, well, I've seen it at 60, 60 below zero.
6: Oh,
7: yeah, it gets, you know, and when I was up in the Nig, for instance, it was, uh, you know, it was probably 100 degrees below, 100 below right. zero.
1: Okay, well, but up at 30 miles, what's the temperature liable to be?
7: Really, really cold. <laughs> well,
1: well, how, how really? I, I, so oh,
7: i probably, probably in that minus 100 degree range. I mean, 100 in the state, below zero,
1: okay. Well, yeah, it, 100 it, below zero. So, how, the question is obviously, how are you going to protect yourself from 100 degrees below zero uh, with the wind chill factor, my God?
7: Well, the capsule itself is a composite structure. To, it's, it's a capsule, of, uh, it's all composite, carbon fiber, Kevlar epoxy with a, um, Kind of a ceramic type paint. Uh, I don't have to worry too much. Actually, I really don't have to worry about frictional heating because there again, I'm not going to be traveling anywhere near orbital velocity. Yeah. Uh, however, the duration of the flight is so short that the cumulative effect of both frictional heating or exterior temperature will not have long enough time. For instance, some of the questions I've had, like you know, like, am I worried about possibly the, the parachute? Freezing into a solid block, and it's like, well, no, because first of all, I won't be up long enough to, in those conditions, and then secondly, the heat that comes off the there's this eight little rocket motors in the nose of the capsule, every 45 degrees pointing right. out, and right. they're, they're controlled by a pretty simple gyroscopic uh, system that just. And what happens is, instead of firing them individually each time the rocket begins to tip, there's a little lag time in the time that the uh, gyroscope would sense the movement and send the signal to it. And then, of course, there can be a, a not real consistently perfect pulse of that rocket motor. So I'm going to actually run those rockets the entire duration. They'll be running equally, and then I will moderate them slightly yeah. whenever the rocket begins to tip. So And the heat coming off those will keep the complete interior of the rocket itself more than warm.
2: Oh, okay. And Of, I, course,
7: of course, my space suit also um, provides me a great deal of protection from mm. the external... All right, now,
1: now, now here's something else. Mm-hmm. Um, the United States uh, through NORAD mm-hmm. and uh, the Russians and the Chinese and everybody uh, monitors serious rocket launches. I mean, we've got satellites. They've got everybody's got satellites. They know when something serious is launching, and and wouldn't that be another reason why it might be undesirable to have without notification something rising off the Nevada desert to the thirty mile?
7: Oh well, there, that's why I'm saying there will be there will first, there'll be. I mean, this is going to be like I said, a televised event. It's not going to be a secret. It's not going to be a mystery. It's not going to just happen. Uh, this is not going to be like the the guy in the lounge chair with the helium balloons in LA air
1: actually space. that was pretty cool. Did you hear that that tape that I played?
7: Oh, of the the hole in the ground?
1: Oh no. Oh. No 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 no. I had a tape of oh, the pilot of of the lounge chair guy. Y- yeah. Did you hear that?
7: Um no, I'm not sure if I heard the lounge chair guy or the k- pilot of the airplane
1: this time. Oh, no, no, no. I got I've got i got the lounge chair guy. I've got the real tape. In fact, uh, if at my network you guys, now that I'm thinking about it, would please dig that up. I'll play it in the next couple of nights. It's 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 unbelievable. No, I don't you, you, I know, I you, you can hear him describing what it's like in the lawn chair. He's got a radio with him, you know?
7: Right, right, right.
1: Oh, it's unbelievable.
7: You see, to me, that, that to me is so much... That to me is a lot more dangerous than what I'm doing. See, people get real freaked out about that. Well, had a parachute. Yeah, but still, you have a parachute. I mean, you still—he was exposed to the elements at sixteen thousand feet. Oh yeah. He was drifting in an area where, I mean, there again. See, that's a, that's the kind of thing that I'm not in favor of doing because he was in an area where he could have caused an air an accident. I mean, let's oh, say yeah. the
1: two jets. He didn't not, notify. But but on the other hand, I mean, who are you going to call and say, look?
9: Well, back to you know, yourself, I'm launching
1: myself is- in a lawn chair, and uh, nobody would ever take you seriously. But no. but you, on the other hand, you had enough free publicity and. Uh, what you're doing is obviously very serious, and so...
7: Yeah, and getting back to your question about, you know, whether or not that, at, at, at this altitude and because of the low heat signature and everything else, this would not really be picked up as a threat from any, mm. um, you know, just like model the model rockets people launch, like you were talking about earlier, um, they have some of those rockets doing the 100,000-foot distance themselves as well, and... Um, that there again if this was something done in the cover of night without any notification or anything then i'd be absolutely inviting trouble from you know a variety of areas.
1: military but for sure
7: this is this is something that is you know i i don't have any desire to be in that category
1: have you been contacted by any official agency um no even with all the publicity nope. nobody's come forward not, no, right, not no, that's I, why I said only in America you know that really is true about our country only in America could you do something like this
7: yeah I mean and that's Probably. One of the things i'm I'm out you know ever since uh, ever since September eleventh one of the things that uh, has kind of kept me going on in this is like Gummon, I'm not going to let them steal my dream I'm not going to let them quench what the American spirit is and it's been there's been too many people that have sent me emails saying don't you know, don't
1: Don't throw in the towel.
7: Don't throw in the towel. This is important. This is what people need to see. I mean, I, I literally have had emails that have moved me to tears. So I had a, a one line email that said, Dear Rocket Guy, I just wanted to let you know that your project has brought one father and son closer together. And I have no idea if that was the father, if that was the son. I you know, um, I've had people tell me that they were on the verge of giving up when they heard about how many times I've failed because you know, between the ages of twenty and thirty five Uh, I went off to do my... I built a two-man submarine in Fiji, and my goal was to put these in resorts where people would rent them and, you know, cruise around underwater to see everything, and I went out... Pretty good idea, actually. It was a really neat idea. I was just a little before my time and not well-funded enough to make it a real effort, but there were six times where I was so... You know, I had to start from scratch. I had to move back into my folks' house and start all over again from scratch, and the last time, that was 10 years ago, I was 35 years old, And, you know, when you fail that big and you've got to literally begin all over again, it becomes very disheartening. And yet the kind of response I've had from people that have drawn some inspiration and some strength or or whatever from what my uh, experiences have been, uh, it's become a very important key element to this whole thing.
1: Well, you're probably going to have your choice of media to be there. Now, aside from myself, and I've made you promise that, uh, aside from myself, what major TV media, for example, w- what shows would you like to have come and cover this incredible endeavor? Well, you know,
7: I went through this This whole thing. Has, uh, I've had so much interest. I've had documentary filmmakers, people want to do this and that, and I've talked with a number of major production companies in Hollywood that wanted to acquire the rights to do a a, a television launch, and
1: no, I'm thinking like Good Morning America and uh, well, the Today the, I've, Show I've done, and that kind of I've, thing.
7: I've done those shows already.
1: No, no, no. I mean, for the, as for far the... as
7: covering the actual, launch,
1: yes, yes, yes.
7: I, you know, I could do it either one or two different ways. One of them, one way is to have an exclusive deal and do a a, a televised network launch coverage.
1: Well, for God's sake, if you do that, have a radio clause in there for me. eh?
7: Well, you know, there'll be two different areas there. Um, <laughs> But to tell you the truth, I kind of got to a point where I just started pulling away from making any decisions like that because... Right now, I am totally autonomous. This is my project. I don't solicit funds from individuals.
1: Yeah, but but it may be, let's face it, that a major network would, would uh, oh, sure. offer you big dollars to do it. And and after all, dollars are dollars, and that's oh, sure, development sure. money. That's rocket money.
7: That's it. I just don't want to right now be put under the uh, additional pressure of someone saying, you got go. to go.
1: That's more security for the Russian wife.
7: Well, <laughs> yeah, but uh it's just, um, I enjoy the fact that right now that I call the shots on this and no one else has anything over above me. I am interested in a, uh, in, a in a couple of corporate sponsors.
1: Okay, so in other words, ultimately you will make a deal. You just don't want to think about it right now. Yeah,
7: no, and, and I did. Uh, last year I went through a whole period where I was in the process of actually negotiating a deal. But what it boiled down to, there wasn't enough money up front in it for me to basically sell myself under the bondage of someone else saying, Look, we we scheduled this for such and such date, and you know. and in view of what
1: you're doing, actually upfront money would be very important.
7: Yeah, but there again, it's like I'm pretty well funded right now for what I'm doing, and in, if I'm going to put myself in a situation where someone else is going to be trying to push me and get me to move faster. Yeah,
1: you're a real independent. All right, hold on. We're at the top of the hour, and when we get back, we will open up the phone lines. We will. If you have a question for Brian Skywalker, Rocket
0: Guy. Time, time, time. I'm Art Bell. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002. bell somewhere in time on premier radio networks tonight an encore presentation of coast-to-coast Coast am from march 27th 2002
1: rocket guy brian walker going to the phones here in just a moment if you'll stay right where you are back now to the rocket guy brian walker uh brian you're back on the air again uh, okay this should be in- an interesting hour with the audience um so um, if you don't mind, we'll just sort of uh, jump right into it. Okay. All right. Lots of questions, of course. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Brian Walker. Hello.
8: Hello. Hi, Mr. Bell.
1: Yes, you have noise and crackling on I'm your,
8: sorry. On I, I do have a San Yorke phone.
1: Okay. Well. I
8: have a five-mile uh, guaranteed radius from the phone. Well,
1: you must I'm be out about four seat. and a half right now. Anyway, yeah. you, do you have a question?
8: Yes. Um, excuse me. I'm a little nervous. Hi, Brian. Hey, how you doing? You have an excellent guest tonight. Uh, I enjoy you. your show very much. Yes, thank you. Um, this is Mike. I'm calling from the hub of, you, hub of the universe, from uh, Boston. Okay. And um, I have to have one comment for Brian. If if um, Evil Can Evil ever put all of this thought into all, any of his uh, you know jumps, much less the rocket launch, he would never have gone through it. And I. Uh, Wish you guaranteed success in jumping the um, bureaucratic hurdle that you're up against.
1: You've seen the photographs I take it of. Uh,
8: I saw some in Maxa magazine last year.
1: There you are. Okay. From his backyard. Okay.
8: Mm-hmm. And uh, and and you know um, balls of the size I can't describe. You know made out of uh, you know brass. Uh, mm-hmm. I well, can't. Well. <laughs> you you expect to um. Beat the uh, terminal velocity by re-entering the atmosphere to be able to jump out of the plane at the Earth's speed. I mean, you know, terminal velocity has that name for that reason. Well, you, terminal it'll kill velocity, you if you jump out at, at a thousand times Mach 1.
7: Well, oh, I won't be, no, the, the one, the, the the small rocket, the test rocket that I'll, that I'll be jumping from will not be traveling. That's, that's going much, you know, 15,000 feet, and I will actually exit it in a transitional period when it is actually near near a standstill, because the rocket will go up and it will run out of momentum, and there will be a point in time where it has actually come to a standstill before it begins descending.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: So I'll be coming out of it before it reaches that. I do not plan on leaving the confines of the capsule on the full-size rocket um, unless that was the absolute last chance. I've got three basic backup systems in the main rocket, and the last one would be to separate the two halves and get out of the thing. In the w- but, I have not yet been able to come up with a scenario where I where I would actually have to do that.
1: Uh, if you did, uh, you of course could not do it uh, until you got to an altitude. Assuming that that you got uh, to thirty miles. And you then had a problem. You would have to get to some minimum altitude before you could take any emergency move at all, would, wouldn't you?
7: Well, yes and no. I mean, that's that, there again. That's one of the reasons for having the spacesuit, is that in the worst case scenario, the cabin loses pressure and. Oh my God! Reason, and
1: and you exit the spacecraft at 30 miles. Well, the uh, in in that spacesuit, could you um, do you think you could survive? No,
7: I wouldn't go up thirty miles because the the biggest problem I'm going to have from that kind of altitude would be, and and you know the the when I actually last year when I went over to fly the MiG, I actually met with the guys at the factory that build the Russian spacesuits, and their major problem was at a certain speed the materials, of course, begin to melt.
1: Melt, yes. yes.
7: So. I would have to get to a certain point before I would consider leaving, but there again, that's kind of like the last case scenario, and I don't plan on even having, I don't plan on getting near that point.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, um, Wild Wildcard Line, you're on the air with uh, Brian Walker. Hello.
9: Hello, how are you? Uh,
1: okay, sir, where are you?
9: I'm in Houston, Texas, and it's funny, last year when you did the broadcast on that fellow that got the tape on the balloon rider.
1: Oh, you did you hear that?
9: i I was actually uh talked to the fellow the next day
1: that was amazing that was amazing i'm I'm gonna replay it uh s- soon i have you know I had just even forgotten about that until it was just mentioned. Then I remembered I had that incredible tape A- anyway, go ahead sir
9: I was uh, curious when and, and is does does he have any fear? Do you have any fear of your uh relationship with with the the Russians in going up at an altitude to where there are things up there looking down on that a lot of people don't see, and if and and I'm just curious if he has any fear of his relationship with another government, just not as a paranoia, but he he does have some intelligence and a technology, and he's going to test something, and he was actually getting right to what I was going to ask, and I understand him departing the ship, but what's going to happen to... Um, the, the, the capsule when he departs, does it have a trajectory to land and recover, or is this just a one-time usage? And uh, okay, well, getting back to that, first of all, I'm not going high enough. You got to realize, 30 miles is
7: not is really not all that far. It's oh, tough. it
1: seems pretty far to me.
7: It just seems very far because yeah. it's 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 a long ways to fall. Uh, but the 30 miles, <laughs> if you were to pull yourself back away and look at 30 miles above a point, for instance, in Nevada at uh, the center of the state, I'm, I'm so far from being able to go anywhere. Um, I'm not in a trajectory that would carry me out of the area. I'm not at an altitude that would allow me to reach to an, an, an orbit. Uh, there's very little threat. To anyone.
1: What is, by the way, about the lowest altitude one could achieve or would begin to achieve some sort of orbit?
7: A low Earth altitude is going to be up around 100 miles. 100
1: miles, about 70 miles above where you're going.
7: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a long, long ways from orbit. And, and, of course, the two major components that are necessary for orbit are orbital speed and orbital altitude both. And I, I'm, I'm a long ways away from, from reaching an orbital speed. Uh, Either or and could
1: never achieve that, even accidentally.
7: No. Yeah. And to get to a second question, everything the there's only um, on Earth Star One, which is the full size rocket. There's basically the capsule and there's the fuel tank. The fuel tank will jettison when the fuel is expended after 90 seconds, and it has its own recovery system in it. Uh, it has a, its own uh, parachute system, and the capsule itself. There again, I. Do not plan on departing that capsule um, right. in, in less, unless the absolutely yeah. worst, worst
1: happens. Possible yeah, possible
7: thing. And 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 there again, it's a couple. It, it's very lightweight material. There's not much to it. And and there, it, the, the location where I plan to be launching from, it's not going to be posing a threat. Right. Well, do, do you, you have a like... city? That'd be a different story. Well, of course.
1: Do you have life insurance?
7: Well, no, no, you don't. Um, i never doesn't... really needed it because now having a family, it's like.
1: Well, but of course, all that's changing now.
7: Yeah, it? yeah, that's 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 just more challenges. You know, life itself is a series of challenges, and uh, that's
1: just going to be one
7: one new one to add to the mix.
1: I mean, is that something that you're going to try to acquire at some point? Um... It would make some sense. I mean, of course, then if the insurance company knew what you were going to do.
7: Well, you never know. I mean, it could come down. To, well, there again, this is one of the, one of the another additional reasons for doing the test rockets and stuff is that uh, I'm using technology that, uh, you know, I have not really invented, per se, anything of, uh, here. I've been right. using technology that's been, been proven developed, and yeah, sure. developed. Uh, there may become a point in time where someone would, would be willing to write me a life insurance policy for the publicity end of it. You
1: know, a lawyer. Well, that's a Yeah, so, that's a thought.
7: But there again, this is I wouldn't. Well, I I probably wouldn't either.
1: <laughs> but
7: I I uh I have no desire to climb on board something and die in it. Um Yes, I'm I just won't
1: go that's in clear. it. Clear. That's clear. All right. Um East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Brian Walker.
8: Good morning. Morning Art. Hi. Brian. Good morning.
1: Where are you, sir?
8: Uh Jupiter, Florida. Okay. Listening to you on the 16-IOD. AM. Yes, sir. Um, I have a. He just answered part of my first question. Um, are you going actually vertically straight up, or are you you know taking a, you know ninety degrees straight up, or are you going to point it out a couple degrees, or? You know, how much drift are you going to get?
7: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, the drift will occur basically depend on what the upper winds are, uh, because you know there again a lot of people um, have. Maybe some understandings are a little bit different than, you know, when I go up, I'm, I'm still going to be still rotating with the Earth because I'm basically carried by momentum. Okay. Uh, the time I will be going up, any, any level that I may pass through with different winds blowing in different directions, I'm going to be traveling through them very quickly, so there will be very little effect overall. Uh, and on my descent, most of the way down from... The highest point I reach, whether it's thirty miles or thirty-five
1: miles, depending on how you know how high I go. Yeah.
7: Most of that time is going to be coming down very quickly. And once again, I will be passing through different layers of.
1: Well, won't you pass through, for example, uh, a place where the jet stream would be if it were in that area?
7: It de- well, it depends on the time of year that I launch. I don't plan on going through the jet stream. Good are idea. You, are you riding it all the way down? or Are you going to get out at some point? No, no, no. I'm going to stay in. I'm going to stay in the capsule. The capsules. Uh, I'm staying. I snug, snug inside the capsule unless there again, unless it's the worst case scenario, and I have to leave it. Um, um, but the capsule will fall, and when it reaches a point of for instance the the landing gear or the landing system consists of a a drogue chute that will come out at about fifty thousand feet and will slow my descent and stabilize and then I have a landing parafoil similar to what a skydiver uses which has a three-to-one glide ratio. So when I reach a certain point, let's say when I get to about 15,000 feet, if, I've, if I'm more than so many miles off the mark, then I can open to a high enough altitude to glide back to that landing point. That leads
8: into my second question. Hmm.
7: So um, if, I, if, I get, but then if I get down, if I'm at uh, 10, 15,000 feet and I'm only two miles uh, to the west of the landing site, I will continue to fall to a lower altitude. Minimum opening altitude though would probably be oh uh, probably around eight to ten thousand feet because that way if the primary parachute system failed there'd yeah, be plenty there. of time for the backup. Boy,
1: system. it sure would be impressive for the people on the ground if you can come nearly back to the launch yeah, point. Yeah, that, that would, would be, be sweet, awesome. Huh? Yeah, sweet. The goal um,
7: is to come back and land in the same area where I took off.
1: I mean, that's yeah, right one of in those, front of the camera. Uh, be, yeah, yeah,
7: this has got to be done you know I don't, i'm not going to splash down somewhere you know 100 miles away and, and then show up
1: yeah uh, I, and, 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 and I, took off. I understand
8: caller what um are you going to take you know video with still shots going up and coming uh, back and, uh, and maybe like yes. mic- it and maybe micing yourself
7: oh i'm going to have complete telemetry uh i plan on having anywhere from 6 to 8 video cameras do you ever matches.
1: watch do you ever watch fear factor
7: um i I've not really. I've, I've come across it. I haven't. Well, you really should watch Fear
1: it. Factor anyway. You should probably. In fact, you should be a contestant. <laughs> no,
2: but, no, but no, What I'm, I was
1: thinking was they have these helmets, you know, right? Helmet and, and uh and they have a helmet cam. Right, right. And that I guess you're going to have one of those.
7: What I'm going to do is no. I plan on having probably anywhere from six to eight cameras remotely mounted at different points in the rocket, huh. and most of what I'm going to be relying upon, as far as visuals, they're not going to come from windows because I'll be on my back facing up and the windows that I have, I won't be able to see out much of anything. Uh, I'm going to have a flat screen monitor in front of me. And so I'm you're going to be
1: you're really going to be depending on the, uh, the video yourself.
7: Exactly. Because what I'll be able to do, for instance, with eight cameras, let's say, uh, each one's going to be connected to its own digital recorder because I want to record the entire flight from as many different perspectives as I can because obviously afterwards the, that that's going to be very a wonderful prize to have is that video and I can click the either one of those cameras at any time and see so for instance if I'm on my way up and all of a sudden I've got some very strange thing going on of a, a buffeting or something I can click through the camera and take an external view of a specific part of the rocket at any given time but definitely definitely going to Record as much of this as possible,
1: so that if a fin were to lose integrity and fall off, you'd be able to see it.
7: I'd, well, yeah. For instance, yeah, if something of that nature were to happen. And for instance, the, when I launch, immediately at launch, there's a there's a window of greatest exposures just within the first couple seconds. If the rocket were to lose stability immediately after launch and begin to arc over then I've only got a certain amount of time to initiate the escape procedure, which is an explosive shutoff on the main engine. And then to separate the capsule from the fuel tank, I'm using two – they've got two basic things. There's six small rocket motors on the bottom of the capsule that develop 135 pounds of thrust each, and they'll fire, and at the same time, there's – Something very, very similar to, like, an automotive airbag.
1: That and is, to not do that on time, you'd be driven into the earth like a steak knife knife into a turkey, wouldn't you?
7: Well, if it, it, it depends how quickly after it left the launch tower, it, it, that, it would depend on how quickly it left the launch tower that that, that, that would occur, because uh, every degree of... But that that, that, the that certainly is launch, a
1: that's a potential, right? In other words, if you didn't yes. act at the right moment.
7: Yes, and there again, that's one of the reasons why... The one thing I can do to ensure my survivability is the tall is having a tall launch tower. For instance, if I had a 400 foot tower and I accelerated at 4 Gs, I would come off that tower with enough momentum to carry me to 16 1600 additional feet. So from a 400 foot tower, yeah, and that's a big
1: safety to, margin.
7: That's a plenty good safety margin because that means I'm going to come to a stop at, at 2000 at 2000 feet and then begin descending.
1: Here, here.
2: So,
7: The taller I build my launch uh, tower, the greater potential I have of survivability, even under the most catastrophic
1: of of experiences. Gotcha. Uh, West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Brian Walker. Hello.
5: Yes, I'm calling
1: from near Phoenix, KFYI. Yes, sir.
5: Um, I have a question which might sound a little bit on the paranoid side, but I was just wondering of your guest, Brian, uh, specifically, have you... Ever earlier on, before you became public with your plans that you're now publicizing, whether you were ever believing that you uh, might have been under any type of surveillance regarding to
1: any technological developments that you might have uh, done uh, earlier? I uh, will ask, but I bet the answer is no, because he said he's used off-the-shelf, essentially, technology. So.
7: Yeah, no, I, I'm not... I don't even think about that because, um, you know, I don't claim to be any great genius or to be a know-it-all or to do any be doing anything other than just observing and learning and using the best of what's available.
1: Well, look, you're a successful inventor.
7: Yeah. Um, so, so that's yeah, a
1: leg yeah. up right there.
7: But my inventions are, you know, they're toys. They're things that delight and entertain children, and it's not like I've gone out and invented any kind of serious technological. Um, you you could
1: stuff. you could still potentially be entertaining.
7: Oh, I'm very Have you
1: ever heard okay. of the uh, videotape called The Faces of Death? No. No, okay. Well, you probably better off not. I
7: try to avoid it. things that like that. Or that. But or I mean, you Darwin could be a new and chapter I in lots there. A lot of people say, well, at least you won a Darwin Award. And it's like, well, no, I, I, don't, plan on, I don't plan on getting a Darwin Award.
1: <laughs> I don't think you would get it. Well, I mean, uh, it you might Darwin you, Darwin you might get listed, actually. You might get listed. But, I, you know, because your effort is honestly, all joking aside, so serious... I wouldn't think the Darwin Award people would put you up. I really wouldn't. Uh, even even if you died.
7: Yeah. yeah. I look at it this way, that um, if I die doing this, and I say this not, of course, in trying to be prophetic in any way, but then, hey, that's that was my way of going. That was the way I was meant
1: to go. That's right. I mean, all right,
0: sir. Hold, hold on. Brian, hold on. Sure. We'll take a break, and we'll all be right back. Stay there. You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002.
2: Pretty soon all my troubles will pass Cause I'm in shoo, 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 shoo. sugar down. i never had a dog that liked me some, never had a friend that wanted one, so I just lay back and laugh at the sun, cause I'm in shoo shoo shoo, shoo 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 shoo, 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 shoo sugar town.
0: Bell somewhere in time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from March 27, 2002. 30 miles.
1: Brian Walker is going in his own homemade rocket 30 miles straight up. We're taking calls for him uh, and sort of exploring this whole thing. Be right back. Well, you know, up 30 miles, uh, if the winds caught you wrong or changed uh, during your operation. Uh, I mean, potentially, you could get carried right out to the ocean, couldn't you?
7: Oh, not not from that far inland. I mean, if you think about my descent rate. And there again, I'm going to be falling. Um, see, when I reach my highest point.
1: Or right, at the very least into the, the mountains.
7: Well, no. Uh, there again, it's the upper winds indicate that kind of velocity i just won't
1: won't launch, won't launch. so in other words you're gonna to have to have really good uh weather information
7: yeah i'm gonna to have to know what the upper winds are doing and stuff
1: how do you the, how do you find that out
7: um well you can check with different weather services to find out what's going on And the you know mostly it's where the jet stream is it, it's there's, if you're not in the jet stream, there's really not that much in the way of lots of upper-surface
1: winds. So you hope the jet stream's up around Seattle somewhere? Well,
7: it just won't be right over me at that point. Gosh. Otherwise, I won't do it. Uh, but also, when I reach my highest point, uh, what I do is I, I, when I begin descending, I don't want to tumble. And I also don't want to deploy a parachute when I'm in in an area where there's no air, because potentially I could wrap up and get caught in the
1: suspension lines. Or yeah, you've really got to fall far enough to begin to get some air for the chute, right?
7: Right, and that's going to take quite some time. So when I reach, like, how long
1: will you? That's let me stop you. How long will you be falling before you can deploy even a drogue? uh,
7: Well. What I'm going to do, at the moment the rocket reaches apogee before it begins descending, the nose cone comes off, and I'm going to inflate a large... um, It's not really a balloon, but it's kind of like a balloon. It's an inflatable nylon-type bag that, in effect, triples the volume or the surface area of the craft. And so as I begin descending... More drag. It creates more drag without the potential of it causing me to tangle. Then at around fifty thousand feet, that will separate, and as it separates, that will pull out
1: the drogue, the drogue chute. Gotcha. And
7: that way. All right. Uh, so, so, what know. kind
1: of period of time from from uh, apogee to a deployment of the drogue? Uh, how many minutes? Oh, it that...
7: probably be. It would probably be somewhere in the neighborhood of two minutes
1: or so. Oh Depends. my God! So you'd be falling for two minutes.
7: Uh, yeah. It's going to be a long free fall because that's
1: um, cool.
2: A
7: typical free fall from. 4,000 feet, 13,000 feet in skydiving, a typical free fall is about 60 seconds. Right. And, of course, you reach an a, a, a average terminal velocity is around 120 miles an hour. Um, starting from that altitude, though, since there is no air, the acceleration just continues and continues. Colonel Joseph Kittinger set the world's record parachute jump back in 1960
2: yeah. from
7: a balloon Gondola at 16 miles high. And he came very close to breaking the sound barrier. Really? Yeah, he he was falling very very fast. Uh, interesting. I actually met him. He's one of uh, one of one of my mentors growing up. I was always very very in, intrigued. He
1: was so so. Wait, it's possible. You, it's conceivable. You could break the sound barrier.
7: Oh yeah, the human body could. Do, I mean, the sound barrier sounds. A lot more than what it is. It's just it's just the speed that happens to be the speed at which sound travels. And yes, I mean uh, but the human body would be is capable of breaking is, is falling faster than sound. Uh, he reached top speeds just in excess of 600 miles an hour.
1: Oh yeah, that's on up there.
7: And wow, uh, you know when he left the balloon gondola, uh, it was amazing because he fell he falls away, and of course he had no way of controlling himself because there was no airflow. Right. And uh, you know it, that's it just, a
1: real free fall. That was
7: a real free fall, and it was only he was uh, he was he had only had thirty jumps. He was part of what was called Project Manhigh, which was the beginning of uh, you know this started in the late fifties, and it was to determine the kinds of things that people would go through in space flights. And of course, in those days, they had no idea of what how the human was going to how the person how. So you human, go up to the
1: edge of space and jump. Yep. Now, that's got to be something to contemplate and then do. My God. Oh,
7: yeah, especially with 1950s, early 1960s technology.
1: All right. Uh, wild wildcard Line, you're on the air with Brian Walker. Good morning.
6: Uh, top of the morning to you, Art. And, yes. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I admire uh, Brian Walker's courage, but I'm awful uh, fearful Uh, This is George calling from uh, uh, New York. I listened to you on the WABC, and uh, I'm concerned that I'm a former aerospace engineer, Mm -hmm. and I used to design uh, packaging for uh, rocket flight, etc. One of the toughest uh, things for a launch condition is to design your electronics to survive the launch condition for random vibration and for shock loading, and I wonder if you're going to pre-qualify your electronics on shaker tables and vibration tables uh, before you make actually put them through flight.
7: Well, to a certain extent, yes, but then to another extent, I'm going to be relying very little on electronics for the actual mechanics of the flight,
1: yeah, but you have video recorders. Yes. Um, but those are you...
7: things are things that could fail and not affect the actual outcome of the fl- of the flight. Uh, for instance, the engine controls, the the uh, you know the fuel flow that goes to the motor and everything else like that. These are not dependent upon uh, sensitive electronic circuitry. Uh, the idea here is to. There again, I'm not attempting to go orbital.
1: I understand. Keep it simple.
7: Keeping it as simple as possible and. There again, this is not going to be generating the kind of, um, you know, in a typical rocket you've got pumps and things that are all, all creating harmonic vibrations that operate against each other and cause lots of problems. I'm operating on a pressure-fed fuel system that's forcing fuel into an engine, and I'm eliminating a lot of the areas that are going to cause high vibration and high uh, stress loads for electronics.
1: And then, course, okay, I well, would- all right, how about that as an answer, caller?
6: Okay. Well, uh, as long as he's cognizant of it, and he's because uh, that's why space flight costs so much for NASA. Sure, everything is pre-qualified. Uh, the no chances are taken, and there's lots of redundancy built in to any system that has to control the flight of the
1: aircraft. So, what kind of chance do you think he has?
6: Well, uh, uh, if he if he pre well, uh, uh, I don't know what. Does he understand his G-loading, and does he understand his sure. vibration loading?
7: Well, no, I mean, these are things that are going to be going to be hammered out more in the test, first of all, the initial rocket. But there again, the, the this is so far and away different than launching, for instance, a satellite or human cargo into space. There's My window of error is so large here in comparison to typically what would be considered a space flight, per se. Um, just the fact that in a conventional rocket that's mixing liquid oxygen and, and hydrogen or, or whatever other kind of fuel, there's so many little tiny potential things that could go wrong. I have a virtually zero chance of, of what would be considered any kind of catastrophic
1: explosion. Okay, I, I, I have a question for you. Um, why not... If you really want to get up that high mm-hmm. why not go up in a balloon and jump I mean why add the additional because
7: that's not the point the, the,
1: uh, yeah the point I'm of
7: good. this is this, is the fact that I'm fulfilling this dream of designing and building rocket. my own rocket okay. I mean
2: uh, no growing
7: case. up the idea of what was what was the best thing in life I could do and that well Building a spacecraft to launch myself. So, doing a balloon, and you know, like I've had some people also suggest, why not use a balloon to lift the rocket to a certain altitude first? Um, but that kind of takes away the, the excitement of the, of the launch. I mean.
1: Yeah, and it introduces a lot of other variables, too. It
7: does. Also, for instance, yes, if I were to use a balloon to carry me to a certain altitude, my risk exposure is actually longer because of the, 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 the duration from leaving the ground to getting up to an altitude where I would then fire the rocket is a greater period of time to put stress on my life support system, Mm -hmm. Uh, the potential for other problems to encounter. Like, for instance, when Colonel Kittinger did his balloon gondola, uh, one one of his jumps, uh, because he did a number of these, he had a pressure loss and his hand swelled up to like twice its size.
1: That would be worrisome.
7: Yeah, and so I want to reduce the limit, the time that I'm exposed to the actual risk as low as possible. And that greatest point is going to be in the first five seconds. Because uh, after five seconds, if everything has gone okay, then from that point on, altitude actually becomes begins to become my friend.
1: Actually, uh, your hand going to twice its size would be a precursor to exploding, wouldn't it?
7: Well, I mean, when, it, it, these, are, these are the accounts that I've heard, and when you score twice its
1: But I mean, I think that way, if, yeah. if your hand got to twice its size, you're on your way to explosion.
7: Well, you're on the way to just a big, big e- expansion of skim.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, all right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Brian Walker. Good morning. Hello.
7: Hello, Art.
1: Yes, proceed. Um,
7: hi, Brian. Um,
4: hey. It's a pleasure talking to both of you. Um, Where are you? Um, Denver, Colorado. All right. Um, I was wondering if there's anyone at all trying to do the same thing that you are doing.
7: Uh-huh. Um, there is... Right now there's a thing called the X Prize, which is a competition that has been uh, formed by a, a St. Louis based organization. Actually it's kind of the same roots that put together the prize Char- that Charles Lindbergh won. And the parameters for this is to have a three man rocket that can carry a pilot with two passengers to an altitude of 62 miles and then return to space in a t- within a two week period. So it has to be able to complete two flights within two weeks. And there's a $10 million prize, and there's a lot of teams right now. And, uh, in fact, they have a website, uh, XPRIZE.com is their website. And and, there, and
1: so there's a lot of teams working on and there's that? There's
7: a lot of teams, and, and yet wow. I, I have not, I just haven't signed up for that specifically because it's not really, you know, I'm not a team, and I'm not trying to build a passenger-carrying rocket, and I'm, I've am i been doing, this has been, a, my goal has been a little bit different than doing that, but I'm not aware right now of anyone else on an individual basis like me doing this the way I'm doing it. Uh, I, at least I have not heard of uh, There are about maybe a dozen and a half or so teams right now. Yeah, but no,
1: nobody else singly like yourself who's no. been devoted to this. No, not that
7: I know. And, and, there and, you go, and, caller. And I haven't heard you know, and then all the media and stuff I've done in the past two years. Okay, thank now. you, Art. Thank you, Brian. I'm, I wish you good luck and Godspeed. Thank you.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, Godspeed. It you. Always say that. West of the Rockies. You're on the air with Brian Walker. Hello.
2: Hello, Brian. Hello.
7: Brian, I'm. I used to hang out with you uh,
1: over at Scanlon's. I'm a friend of Lee's. Um, I used to work at V21. I just want to tell you that everyone in Bend really supports you. And Bend, Oregon.
7: Bend, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I, I've watched your your progress from a toy maker all
1: the way to to now. Oh, hey, no, you're
7: friend of Lee's. Uh, what's your name again? Brian.
1: Uh, I used to be a promotion manager for Z21.
7: Oh, and I remember. He, oh, sure, sure, I remember. Hey, hey, how are you? But anyway,
1: I just want to let you know.
7: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. No. When is the caravan
5: when we can go down and support you?
7: Uh, well, there again, I've, I've pulled away from trying to live up to an established date. At this point right now, my best hope is that by the end of this summer I will have completed the test launches and gone up in the test rocket, and then I'm going to be taking all that data and during the next fall, winter, and spring completing the full-size rocket, and I'm hoping to complete the main rocket launch sometime in the summer of 2003. We'll be there. Thank you.
1: Yeah, I'll be there, too. Uh, First-time caller line, you're on the air with Brian Walker. Hello. Hello, Mr. Walker.
7: Yes, Mr. Bell.
1: Yes, sir. Good morning. Good morning.
4: Uh, Mr. Walker, first of all, let me say I admire your adventurous and independent spirit. And uh, my question is, um, if NASA tomorrow called you and said, uh, you know, we we like what you're doing, but we think it's far too dangerous for a civilian to be doing, um, and we're willing to take you up in, in orbit around the Earth, if you just
9: abandon your project, would you do that? <laughs>
7: you know, it's funny. You it's funny you ask that because I've given some consideration to that a number of times. Um, because, for instance, when I was training in Russia the first time in June, Dennis Tito was there a training, and I got a chance to meet him and stuff. And I've often thought about that exact thing. What if what if someone offered me a ride in lieu of this? And I'd like to be able to, you know, I'd. Part of me would say no, I wouldn't abandon this. Um, it would be hard to give up that opportunity.
1: Um, that's a twenty million dollar ticket.
7: <laughs> well, it, it's uh, yes, uh, and I've you know because I've often I've often given thought to that exact same very thing, and there's just a kind of part of me that would just kind of like say, well, heck, I'll take the ride, but then there's the other part of the greater part of me that's like no. I'm trying to do something here that has a little bit bigger, and I would almost feel like I was selling out. So I hope I don't, you know what? I just hope I never get the offer. So you would go independently. (laughs) I want to continue what I'm doing and finish it because... Like it, like I said before, I've had I've had so many people send me so many wonderful emails.
1: Actually, that's kind of a nasty question. Now that I think about it.
7: Well, it, you know, it, you know, it's a very real. It's a human nature. Question. It's
1: a, yeah, but it's a nasty question in a way because uh, I, I too, uh, oh my God, the opportunity to go into Earth orbit. Uh, hmm. <laughs> That'd be hard to turn down.
7: It, it would, really hard. Yeah, it, it would. It would be hard to turn down. So I just, uh, I just hope I'm never given the opportunity <laughs> to. Uh, it's just like winning the lottery. You know, uh, you win a lottery and win a huge amount of money, and you go from one situation to the next, and it's not. It's most cases not a good thing. Yeah.
1: Listen, a lot of people would love to eat. Uh, do you dare give out your uh, email address?
7: Well, I have a. This, people can email me through my website. Oh, okay. Um. So there's plenty of places. To, I mean, there's two, there's two places they can email me right through yeah, my Yeah, we've website.
1: got a link to your website, of course. And
7: uh, yeah, there's, uh, they can go right through rocketguide.com and, and I get the emails. And, you know, that's another thing I've discovered not only am I a, a dyslexic and attention deficit, but I think I also have an obsessive compulsive disorder because I have answered. Ninety-nine percent of my close to 10,000
1: emails. Well, that alone will keep you out of space.
7: Yeah, that's that's taken a huge amount of time, but the fact is um, it's something that, you know, this has become part of this program is uh, doing this, and uh, uh, people send me some incredibly uplifting has emails. It, has, it,
1: has it happened at all? Brian, that occasionally you've had terrible misgivings. You've been ready to throw in the project, but you know that if you do, this be—it's—it's so public now. People are so depending on you for whatever perverted reason they have (laughs) to go ahead and do what you said you're going to do. That is a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure.
7: It is. I've had. There's been a number of times where I've lit, where I have literally hit. I I, mean. I, I, I have a tendency that I can, I can fall into pits of depression because I like, sometimes just see how much I have to do and for instance just so many things in my personal life I've let slip the past couple of years because I'm usually up by six in the morning and I usually don't stop working until ten or eleven at night and that's an early night and there's times when I felt like giving up completely and part of it, sometimes at times, yeah, there's going to be a whole lot of people I let down but then at the same time it's like I actually thought one day, what if what if this whole... I never would have gone to Russia and met Natasha if I hadn't been doing this project. Right. And I often just thought, what if that was the entire reason for doing this? Would I give this all up um, and consider the fact that I met Natasha and Sergei um, and, and consider that reward for this project? And um, I think I would.
1: Natasha then, might put it to you that way.
7: I but I I don't at this point in time no I haven't I haven't reached that point of doing that but but I I do a lot of self-examination believe me I mean like I said uh, So
1: what what is going to happen if Natasha says uh yet?
7: Um I'll get I'll, I'll I'll deal with that if and when that happens and 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 um I don't expect it to I know that she is she is Worried from the sense of not wanting to see me die, obviously, Mm. but I also know that she she is very, you know, I've done radio and TV and newspaper articles in Russia because, you know, as I was saying earlier, they are so... Hungry to understand capitalism, and there's so much wanting to develop a system like ours. Yeah, well,
1: you're a big poster boy for that, that's for sure. Listen, we've done a program there, buddy. Uh, We're out of we're out of time. It's been wonderful. Uh, You're just a great interview, and you know I'm coming to see the first test. So you've got to keep me totally informed. I will
7: will do that. I will let you know when that's going to happen.
1: All right, we'll bring our land yacht up and do a broadcast and stuff. All right. There you go. Take care, Brian. Thanks, Art. That's Brian Walker, Rocket Guy. <laughs> Only in America folks from the high deserts where it's just beautiful spring is on the way I'm Art Bell good night